in. Then I start hearing him like that huffing, heavy breathing noise. And I knew exactly. I'm like, yep, that's that bear. We, yeah, went. that's the bear <laughs> we went after. And, uh, I said, if he puts his nose on the tent, plug your ears. It's the smaller ram spotted something that was out of place. And I froze. I was froze like half stride. Mm-hmm. And the staring contest began. And when I got close, I would just come the full draw. I'd step out. And I mean, I would be from me to you from this thing. Yeah. Darn near. I mean, you know, four or five feet away. Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm your host, Tyler Friel. And joined today is my, with, joined today by my buddy, Matt Herkstroder. And, uh, went through a whole thing where I had to ask him, like, just how, if, is that how he pronounces his name? <laughs> Cause I don't, I've known him for a year, few years and never had any occasion to actually say it <laughs> but that is correct that, right yes that's correct okay anyway um matt's like i said i've known him for a few years met him through uh our local archery club shooting foam stuff <laughs> and yep. uh but matt's been living up here a long time uh man i guess with that you know i'll let you i'll let you tell all that because you know it way better than i do <laughs> okay no problem yeah so uh i've been we moved to Alaska when I was uh, seven years old from Missouri, and uh, so I've been here. I guess this would be year thirty-one, and he doesn't look as old as he is. No, uh, <laughs> a lot of people tell me that, but and I take it as a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so pretty much uh, moved up here. Like I said, when I was seven, um, my dad was. Uh, stationed on uh, Kodiak when he was in the Navy, which is now the Coast Guard base, but it used to be a naval base. Um, he always wanted to come back up here, and he got a job opportunity, and we moved up here. Um, I lived in Anchorage for three years. That's originally where we moved to. And then after that, he transferred up to Fairbanks, and I've been here ever since. Nice. Yeah, so obviously being a, a man of the woods up here, you've done quite a, done quite a bit <laughs> yeah i i i think i've did i don't think i've did as much as some for the amount of time i've lived here yeah but uh i've been trying to i think like everybody up here with the short summers and long winters you get you get kind of in a rut with um you know preparing for winter all the time yeah and uh, I definitely fell in that rut for a while. Um, I got married pretty young. I got married when I was 20 and, you know, work and trying to make a living. And then, then you start having kids and you, uh, there's a lot of things that I, I look back and think that I could have did, um, that I didn't because those things took priority. So I just, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you bring that up because, because I've thought for a long time and I guess the way I look at myself and it, I, I hate like saying it, like I, I feel like, yeah, pretty accomplished or whatever, you know, I've been able to do a lot because I know quite a few guys that like, the, you know, the old timers, like there's some of them around that those guys have done it, been there, done that and done it again, you know, so well, I don't know. It's it's always weird when you're you're because like I mean, just knowing you, you've done way more stuff than 
a ton of people could ever dream, but when you're looking at yourself, I don't know, I don't really see it that way. I do, like you said, I think of a lot of things I could have done or should have done. Yeah, and I, you know, there's a, I just look at the, the vastness of Alaska and it's, uh, there's places that, you know, living here for as long as I have, I still haven't been. Yeah. And people, I mean, including yourself, you know, I mean, me, I've never been to Kodiak. Wow. I mean, I've hunted blacktails and uh, Prince William Sound out of Valdez, but as far as going to Kodiak, I've never been to Kodiak. Um, I've been down towards, you know, in the Dillingham area once. And, uh, I mean, so there's, I guess where I've hung out a lot has been kind of repetitious. Yeah. Kind of the, some of the same areas. I mean, I've been around, but not... I probably could have opened up my opportunities a little bit more. But that's still kind of a, it's one of those things because literally, and even the old timers that have been there and done that twice, they've still got like bucket list items up here. Like you could live your entire life up here. You talk about like, I haven't made it down to Kodiak yet. Well, then you start breaking down all the different places and things you could do there just in that area, you know. You can't, you could never, I don't think anyone could ever really do it all up here. No, I, and I think times today are a little different also. Just the fact that, um, I mean, back in the day, you know, just heating your house, I'm, I'm talking cost-wise, I guess, you know, heating your house used to be a lot more affordable than it is now. Yeah. And so, I mean, all that stuff adds up and it cuts into your travel opportunity or your hunting time a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what I was trying to say before you get in this rut of you know trying to provide for the family yeah and hunting is part of that you know I mean we live off of the meat that we hunt I mean I don't buy meat from the store I mean bacon and some chicken even though I've raised chickens and even raised hogs with my dad um, but that will it just was one of those things that, you know, you get tied tied up to into work to just, you know, and all just that to make it just to make it, and those other things kind of fall to the wayside a little bit. And I don't want to sound like that's an excuse. I mean, you know, where there's a will, there's a way in a lot of cases, but it's just, I, I think, I think partially too is since I I basically grew up here that took for granted a lot of things and you just you know and i have no plans on leaving yeah so i i, I guess you always think well you know there's I'd next say, there's well, next I'd say year. well there's the door right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean it's yeah it's just kind of like you know well there's always next year or eventually i'll i'll get to do that you yeah. know or and to a certain degree you know yeah some of that stuff has happened but i don't know i like I say, I I feel like I've I've did did kind of a lot, but I I could have opened up my opportunities m- more, right? More so, I think. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you've hunted sheep quite a bit, bears, moose, all that stuff up here, and you, I mean, met you through through the um, archery club, so you you bow hunted a lot, and I don't know, is typical up here. You kind of get into everything a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that um, I guess a little background too on my hunting 
kind of lead into what you're saying is, uh, you know, I grew up hunting, but it really the extent of hunting when I grew up was, was moose and caribou. And it was, you know, my dad was just like, ah, we got to get a moose, put it in the freezer. Yep. You know, and it was, we had a moose camp. We hunted that camp for probably close to 20 years and it was a family thing. Yeah. You know, I compare it kind of to deer camp, even though I never really have been in a deer camp like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I never got into the backpack type hunting until I was probably about 20. Yeah. And me and my brother planned a sheep hunt and he was actually the one that was sheep. He was sheep crazy, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) And, but what's funny that kind of transferred over to me. I mean, I, uh, we, we put together the sheep hunt. We ended up both of us killing rams on that hunt. And I mean, we learned a ton. It was a huge expedition for us. I mean, we had never really did anything like that up to that point. You know, I mean, we had been caribou hunting and moose, like I said, and Mm -hmm. and we did do some black bear hunting off of a bait we had. And that was one of those times too, that like the black bear hunting, we draw straws. We had one bait between my dad and my brother and I, and we just draw straws of who got to shoot the first bear. And it, it never failed. It seemed like my brother always got to shoot the first bear. <laughs> and it was never uh, uh, that particular spot. He killed nice bears there, but we never had a large number of bears come into that bait. Yeah. So it was kind of a one and done situation. Yeah. Like who gets to kill? It's not who gets to shoot the first one, but who gets to shoot the bear? Yeah. And I, my brother's killed some really good bears there. Um, but I could just never make it happen for myself. I mean, it took me quite a while before I was like, finally got in the groove of, you know, killing bears. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of a a side note. That's a common misconception. I think about baiting up here or anywhere that you put a bait out, you just go throw some dog food in the woods and there's going to be bears all over it. Most, I'd say the vast majority of baits like may get one bear in them. There's a lot of baits that never even get touched. Yep. Well, and you know, uh, some, some baits are grizzly baits and other baits are black bear baits and some baits are, there's nothing. Yeah. A lot of baits. There's nothing. Really. The first bear I killed with a bow, I, I, uh, it was the only bear I had coming in and ended up being a, a, a small sow. And my wife was with me at the time, actually, that, and we saw this track in the trail and I just knew that bear was at my, was going to be at the bait. Yeah. And she told me that she's like, we need to set here tonight. And I'm like, wow, I'll come back tomorrow because I had to work the next day. Mm-hmm. I was like, but the next day was my Friday. So I figured I'll set that night. Well, and this was before I'd never had a trail camera. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know. All I had was a track to go off of. That was mm-hmm. it. And uh wasn't a big bear. I knew it, but I was just determined to kill him with my bow. So naturally, yeah. So I just, I didn't, I didn't listen to her. I should have. <laughs> you know, I just said, let's just put a little bit more bait out. We'll go home and then uh, I'll come back tomorrow after work and set. So we did, we did that and uh, 
came back the next day. Sure enough, that bear had been there that that night. I mean, I could have killed it probably yeah. that night. So I ended up setting the, uh, the second night when we were back in there and uh, waited forever, it, it seemed like. I mean, it was probably about, if I remember right, it was about 2 in the morning or so. You That's know? Pretty, getting pretty late for black bears. Yeah. And, it, and, well, you know how it is. I mean, this was in June when this bear had been coming in. and But at 2 in the, two in the morning, it's dusky. Yeah. You know? So, uh, anyway, it came in, and I, I actually rushed my shot a little bit and ended up being a liver hit on the bear. But I knew it was going to it was gonna expire. I just didn't know how far it was going to go. But, anyway, I ended up finding it. I gave it a little time. We ended up finding it. I mean, it was just a small little sow, but I was happy, you know, that, yeah. And the whole time, of course, she's rubbing it in that, you know, you should have sat there the other night and all that. And, and, uh, anyway, that's a little side, little side trail, but, um, the whole going back to the moose camp and, and stuff, it was just like, I never got into the backpack hunting until I was in my about 20. And that opened a lot of doors for me personally. And I, and also that, that made me get into bow hunting more Mm -hmm. also. So, you know, as you know, I've, I've built some bows. Yeah. Some some recurves and, um, even some little long bows for my nieces and nephews, my kids, that's what they started on. Yeah. I just built some little hickory bows for them and. You know, they've, they, all of them have had a blast. I actually made three this year for some of my cousin's kids. And they came up last summer and, and visited. And the one, the one boy, he is just, he's bow crazy. Yeah. And when am, when am I going to see Matt's bow? I mean, he told everybody on the airplane when he flew up here that he was going to Alaska to kill a moose with a bow and arrow. <laughs> that I was going to make for him and he was dead serious about it. Yeah. And people were just like looking at him like he was, <laughs> you know, a little storyteller. And, uh, well, anyway, I ended up making those bows, sending them down for Christmas and, you know, I, I'm hoping he, they're enjoying them at yeah. least. I think they will be, but, uh, I guess that drove my, my dad thinks I'm crazy for bow hunting. Really. (laughs) And I I still like the rifle hunt and I still do some, but I, to me, the bow, I just have more fun with it. Yeah. And that's really what it's about, you know? Yeah. And, and so that also goes back to a little bit, you know, I, I think I probably, well, I'm almost a hundred percent sure I could have been more successful if I hunted with my rifle a little bit more. Yeah. But I I dove right into the bow hunting thing so much that it's just harder. Yeah. And so there was a lot of years that I went home with nothing. Mm-hmm. Or I was very particular, you know, I, I told myself, you know, yeah, I'm not going to shoot a moose and let, I, it's got to be 40 yards and in. Yeah. You know, and I really sat there and I don't know how many moose I had at 50 yards, 45 yards. And I, I mean- Literally, that five yards was just enough for me to say no. I'm not. I'm not even going to try to kill it. And now I look back and go, "Yeah, I was kind of stupid. I shouldn't have." You know, I know I could have killed it. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, you were holding yourself 
to, and there's something to be said for someone who can hold themselves to what, you know, their, they determine their effective ranges. No, and I agree. And I mean, that's kind of what I, I had decided on, but I, I guess I knew that because I had practiced it further distances than yeah. that, you know, and like I said, this is 20 years ago going on to, you know, around that time and bows were not what they are now. No. You know, and I'm talking compounds, yeah. you know, I hadn't been into the traditional thing, uh, at that point yet, but, um, I, I just think that it was more of a passion for me to just bow hunt. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I kind of dedicated myself to to trying to do that as much as I could. I'm just a hunter. Yeah. Not a bow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean. Well, it was Ryan's podcast a little while back. Yeah. I was telling the story how I won't won't name the person because I I like the guy, but was basically just told I was just a hunter because I didn't only bow hunt. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, I, I think I've did some muzzleloader hunting. I've did some bow hunting, you know probably bow hunting the most and then rifle hunting too. And I think also that's a big deal in my, in my mind to take advantage of whatever opportunity you got. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, that's really what I, how I got into the muzzleloader thing, um, was, and we can go around and around about what I would call, well, I'm not even going to say that, but I, I'm, <laughs> I think, I, I think I know where you're going with that, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any experience in that whole realm, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> well, and you, you know, I just, it's because of the way I was brought up too. You know, I grew up, my dad was, he really was into the muzzleloader stuff, um, building flintlock rifles and, mm-hmm. you know, we had, we were part of the, the muzzleloader association here in town and. Back then, they would do, um, they would have these rendezvous down by Delta. Yeah. And I mean, it's, everybody would set up their teepees and their, you know, you dressed up at a certain, of a certain time period and it was a, you know, like a week long thing and it was, you camped out and you traded and you, you did this stuff like from the 1850s, you know? Yeah. And so I grew up doing that as a kid and- um, my dad bought a muzzle or uh, a black powder kit from Dixie Gunworks for me and my brother one year for Christmas. I think I was eight or nine years old and he kind of helped us on those rifles. And we, I mean, we, you know, it's a, it's in kit form, yeah. but the brass that's on them, you have to polish and, you know, file, it's just rough cast yeah. stuff. And, um, you had to, we had to brown the barrels, you know, we'd brown mm-hmm. the barrels in our oven in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, I still have that rifle t- to this day. It's a little 40 caliber Pennsylvania rifle. And, uh, anyway, so later on I got into the, you know, I kind of was out of the muzzleloader thing for quite a while. And then, and then I started getting back into it a little bit and hunting with it. And, um, me and my dad drew a tag one year, a party tag. He had never killed a, a moose with his muzzleloader. And I remember going to moose camp and he would lug that thing. And it's kind of funny, I guess things come full circle, but I used to think he was crazy Yeah. back then. You know, he would fight it. I mean, 
a little bit of dampness in the air and the thing wouldn't shoot, you know? It was yeah. just he he got on a big bull one time and he by no means ever was looking for a big bull. He didn't care. I mean, if, he was just going to shoot a moose. And uh he spotted a big bull and he had that flintlock that he had built, one of them. And he snuck up at his bull probably 35 yards away, 40 yards away, and it was bedded. And he pulled up, he primed the pan in his flintlock, and it had been raining a lot. And he did everything he could to try to keep things dry. But he pulled up on this moose and touched it off. And the only thing that fired was the the powder in the pan, pan you know. Yeah. And the gun just didn't go off. And this bull just sits there. So he's priming the pan again. I think he tried, if I remember, like three times. Oh, man. And just couldn't get, it wouldn't fire. The powder was wet or damp in the barrel, you know. And the bull finally got agitated. He knew something was up and he walked away. And I always kind of felt bad for my dad, you know, because, I mean, it would have been dead with just a center fire rifle. Yeah. Fine, you know. But uh, he had never gotten one all that time. And, like, he got two weeks off a year and he spent it moose hunting. That was yeah. about it. And um, so when we drew this tag, I, I to- told him to put in for a party hunt with me. And uh, it's a wintertime hunt. And um, we ended up drawing. And so pretty much my goal, even though I could kill a moose, was to get him a moose. And so we ended up going out. And it was it was tough. It was cold. It's a winter hunt. Yeah. It's, I mean, we had temperatures of 50 below down in the low river crossings. Yeah. And uh, he ended up killing a bull, and he was dead set on using a a round ball with a patch, spit patch, and his flintlock, and he did. He did it one shot. I mean, I was very amazed that that thing went right down. Oh, cool. And- so I, and my dad, he's, he doesn't really care about taking pictures or <laughs> none of that type of stuff too much. And I'm, I was trying to get it on video and, um, I was kind of far further away than I wanted to be because where this bull was, it was in a patch of brush and I kind of went around just in case he kind of was getting away from, like if my dad was going in on it and it spooked, maybe I could kind of keep it from totally walking away. I was hoping that if I was down from where this bull was, that it would push it back towards him enough and, uh, didn't really need to do that, but I was out of, I I didn't have very good sight to get it in on film. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, that was, he ended up getting that bull and, you know, I was happy. I was happy for him. It was, it was a tough hunt. Just, he doesn't get around like he used to. And, uh, he, uh, it, it worked out. It was kind of a freak bull too. It was, uh, when we first saw it, the, the antlers on this bull were probably, I don't know, it was mid forties. It wasn't a huge bull or anything, but I noticed he had like, drop tines he looked just like a non-typical moose he was yeah freaky looking and uh we'll come to find out he had a genetic defect that 
uh, fishing game said that he probably never shed his antlers, probably never bred. Um, kind of like those cryptoid bucks or whatever they call them down on Kodiak where they're the old family jewels don't ever descend or whatever. So that's, they, and that's how this one was. I mean, the one that it did have was about the size of a marble. Oh, wow. And, it, you know, the, the antlers, the best way to describe them was like rotten wood. Weird. They were just like doty soft. They were all broke. Still had velvet on them. I mean, this was in November. This hunt was in November. So it's, it was just kind of weird, you know? Yeah. And I will say that that was, the moose tasted fine. Mm-hmm. But it was very tough. That was a like the toughest moose I could ever remember eating. Um, the taste it tasted like moose. It was fine, but yeah. it was just the whole moose was just tough, and I don't know why that was. If that was part of the the defect that it had or what, but um, anyway, I I was excited for him to get that get oh, that absolutely. bull, you know, and and that evening kind of getting sidetracked on this story. Oh, that's okay. But, that's but, part of it. <laughs> but, but but that evening, um, we went back um, back to our camp, and he's pretty whooped, you know, and we uh, were sitting there, and I said, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna head down the trail a little bit. We got a little bit, like an hour of light left. And earlier in this story, when I had to go back to camp to get our toast leads, he started butchering the moose, and then I went back to camp to grab these sleds to hook to our snow machines. And uh, I actually I ran into a bull, like, right by our camp. Yeah. And there was two other guys coming down the trail, and they saw this bull, too. He was kind of up on a hill, a little bit up on this hill, 150 yards away, maybe. And uh, I asked them, you know, I didn't really have time to go messing with it Mm -hmm. at that point. And I was like, hey, you guys going to go after that bull? And they said, well, yeah, we'll try, you know. And they tried, but I I got the sleds. I went back to where my dad had the, the bull down. Never heard any shooting, you know. Yeah. So I told my dad, this is after we were back to camp. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go see if I can find that bull. And I didn't leave the camp. I wasn't down the trail five minutes and I see a cow and so I stop and I'm looking with binos and I see another cow and this bull had two cows with it when we see yeah. it earlier. And I'm like, that bull's got to be here. It's the same group. And so I did a little bit more looking around. Sure enough, he's little, this little bull. And uh, he's small bull, little fork and horn. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, I was trying to sneak down the trail. And it's crunching snow. You know, it's loud. and It's like this thing going to work. And, of course, the cows are looking at me. And the wind's good, but just they can hear me walking. Yeah. So they I get know all, you're there. Yeah, they know I'm there. The bull wasn't paying too much attention, but the cows were definitely alerted. And uh, so I decided to just get off in the deep snow. And it was, you know, thigh deep, knee deep snow. Well, it was dead quiet, though. Yeah. And I was able to get about 100 yards from this guy before he started getting. The cows were kind of alerted, and he was getting a little antsy now. And anyway, I leaned up against this tree and. You know, I had a cap lock, you know, I'm not quite flint lock material yeah. yet, but eventually <laughs> I would like to. Um, and uh, I could, it was so 
dusky. I could barely see the iron sights on my on my rifle, you know. And I'm just like, 100 yards is about my max that I want to shoot with that thing. Yeah. And uh, that kind of that's a rabbit trail that between in lines and you know yeah. the more traditional <laughs> style muzzleloaders. That's kind of what I was insinuating earlier. But I, that's kind of <laughs> what I was figuring. <laughs> and nothing, nothing against those, but I, uh, I guess you know people argue about traditional and compound too. But I don't kind of put that. I don't even put that in the same level, really. Me personally, that's my opinion. But. <laughs> um, uh, so I ended up making a shot on this bull and I knew I hit him and he kind of just ran a little bit and I'm reloading and I'm like, I got to get another one in him, you know, running like, that ramrod. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And anyway, I got, a, I got another shot into the moose. Wasn't sure if I actually even hit him in that, at that, that time. And I seen him kind of walk right to the edge of the trail and he just laid down and I was like, all right, he's dead, you know, or going to be dead. I went up there to him and he looked dead to me. Yeah. You know? And I mean, it's literally, it's almost dark right now. It's getting, I mean, I could barely see, like I said, the sights on my rifle. It was, it was getting to where almost, if it was another 10 minutes, I wouldn't have been able to even shoot, yeah. you know? And, uh, so I went back told my dad well you better get your gear back on i got a moose down and he's like well i didn't hear no shooting i said yeah i shot a couple times and uh i said it's it'll be easy it's right by the trail you know <laughs> so we go down there the moose is nowhere to be found i'm looking right there there's blood all over the snow you could see where he laid but there's no moose it's gone and I'm like, and it's dark now, you know, I'm like, what, what in the world, you know, what am I going to do? So I kind of start just looking for tracks in the snow and there's kind of tracks everywhere. I mean, the moose, it's wintertime and the moose are down in the willows browsing and all this. So hard to tell what tracks are fresh and what aren't. Yeah. And, and I, I do see some blood and I, I got my headlamp and I'm like shining around trying to see eyes or find this thing. And I don't know where he's at. I don't know. He was probably 30 feet from where he was laying there. Oh, or yeah. I thought he was dead. Well, the thing is standing up now, but he's, he's totally lethargic. He's out of it. His head is down, but he's just standing there. And my dad's like, make sure it's not a cow, not one of those cows, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I pretty much, I walked right up to it. I mean, four feet away yeah. from it and had to shoot it again to finally put it down. And, uh, that killed it obviously. But I was just like, I had never had a moose that didn't die as easily. Yeah. And I was shooting, you know, out of my, my rifle, I was shooting a, you know, a, a conical type bullet, mm -hmm. you know, I don't remember the grain, fairly heavy grain bullet. You know, and I'm just comparing it to like my dad's the round ball he shot out of his rifle. Yeah, and you're <laughs> and I had I had I had three bullets in that thing all in the kill area. Wow. You know, and obviously the third one was that one way up close, but Well it was it reminds me the first moose I first moose I killed with my recurve, I 
long story. I won't get into into too much too much off in the weeds with that. But uh, so I get my first shot at this moose, forty five yards, and I've been shooting a lot and felt pretty good. Something told me right before I shot, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, aim right for his hump, like focus on his hump, and it'll drop right into his ribs. Hit him right exactly where I was looking, right in the hump, and I just, of course, he he's standing in the river runs up like less than five yards and stops again looking around and i'm you know because initially it's just like slow-mo the arrow hits him in the hump and i'm like oh man what did i just do like felt terrible and he stops and i'm like all right well now i know where i'm hitting second arrow right in the ribs like double long shot and he starts spinning around in circles so i go running up running up there get about 20 yards and he stops again shoot him again in the ribs I ended up like having four out of I, a whole nother trail I won't get into on this episode. Um, I didn't expect to get one. I brought five arrows and I put all five arrows in that moose, four of them through the lungs. And he still like, he, he took, took him like 10 minutes to tip over and it just didn't make any sense to me. Whereas the next one I killed with my bow, one arrow right through both lungs, ran 20 yards and fell over. Yeah. I, I think these animals... There's always an exception, yeah. With some of these animals, um, and, and this isn't really on our list of topics, but you know, I was talking about a heavy bullet. I, I guess I'm a believer in heavier stuff. Yeah, um, arrows, bullets. Um, you know, the first moose I killed with my recurve, it was a cow, cow moose, and. I, I was that was the first year that I actually shot heavy, you know. I had like three hundred grains up front, and, yeah. You know, but it it was after the the whole Ashby stuff, you know. Yeah, and uh, you were shooting single bevels. Yeah, and, it was. Yeah, it was. I was shooting the A Boyers, is what I had, and um, I, I believe I was shooting a, a that year. That moose was a a, a beaming carbon shaft. I later switched to wood. I mean, yeah when we met, that's what I was shooting was wood, but, um, it, that made me a believer in heavy arrows and even out of my compound, you know, I, yeah. cause I came from compound to traditional and then, you know, two years ago I went back to shooting my compound, um, for reasons I won't go into right now, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but, um, anyway, the, uh, having that heavier arrow, especially after that, I shot that moose. I could not believe how how much damage that thing well, did. Well, wasn't that the one you were telling me that was quartering to you? Yes, that was the one. And and I, you know, was it the best shot? I'm sure people will say no, it's not, and blah blah blah. But at the time, I felt confident that I could make the shot, mm-hmm. and I was off my mark a little bit. But that heavy arrow is actually what killed that moose. Yeah, you know. Because it just blew, like chopped her shoulder in half, didn't it? Yeah, basically? at the at the where the shoulder joint is at, it broke that. I mean, you know how big those joints yeah. are. It Can't broke. Get your hand around it. No, it broke that and went all the way through and got. I hit the heart. That's actually what killed yeah. her. And that arrow was probably four inches through the heart. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was still arrows sticking out of the 
you know, kind of the, the frontal brisket shoulder area of that, of that moose, but, and it didn't go, it didn't go 25 yards. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I kind of have become the same way, um, real quick. I mean, the last two grizzly bears I shot this year, I was using 697 grain arrows, same thing, like super weight, you know, super ashby, if you want to put it that way. And this bear shot him quarter into me right in the shoulder. And I think the ground stopped it coming out and right through, right through the middle of the heart. But, uh, and then the, the previous year I was, I kind of went crazy. I was shooting my heavier recurve limbs. They were like 65 and I wanted to see how, how heavy arrow I could make. And I had, they're like 900 grains and this bear, and it was, a, it was like a seven, four bear. I think like a, a pretty good grizzly bear stands up quartering away hard. And I seen that shot, I got a little excited shot just whether it was lack of focus or I shot too quick, hit this thing right in the ham. And hindsight, it was only like three inches to the right. I was wanting to hit him right on the front edge of that leg and hit him right in the ham. And of course he's, he's growling and huffing and spinning around. And I see like most of my arrow hanging out of him. I'm like this, and this just turned into a long, dangerous night. Like this is swamp stuff. Like it just got just got interesting, and I'm by myself. That's what I'm I was going to ask. If yeah, were you hunting by yourself? Yeah, on that I'm going to have to go back, go crawling through the alders by myself after this bear I just shot in the ass. But once I, I mean, I looked at the video and was like, yeah, that, that bear's done. And he only went 35 yards. It went through his ham, and that's like extreme quartering away over the hip shot so deadly on him through his ham. You know. I caught him, caught, went in, but behind his, uh, diaphragm. So ham, diaphragm, liver, both lungs and clipped the top of the heart. And the broadhead stuck, like was buried in his front leg bone on the opposite side. So yeah, yeah. heavy arrows for you. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I fully agree. Like I'm, I'm going to do, you know, last year, I just, last summer we met up and I was working on some yeah. different arrows and, um, I did increase my weight even more on my compound, but this year I'm actually going to go up even more. Yeah. Um, I'm going to lose a little trajectory, I think, but... But just knowing that that... I mean, if you can do that with a recurve on a moose, not promoting, like, irresponsible shots by any means, but if you take the time to build your arrows correctly, and or well... And I'm using air quotes correctly, or, you know, you build them for the specific purpose and they're built right. Um, there's like, they'll shoot, especially out of a compound, like they'll shoot through most stuff end to end and go through anything along the way. Yeah. And I, I think what really got me thinking about that even more was um, two years ago with my sheep going down the sheep trail. Yeah. Well, don't get too much into that quite yet. <laughs> okay. I, I want to hear that story here right. a little bit. Well, I'll talk about it when we talk about that story. But I'll, uh, I'll bring that subject up. Yeah. I just it made me it made me also think about increasing weight out of my compound again. Yeah. You know, or arrow weight. Yeah. So which, because of what because of what happened. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, so, and I can get into that when we talk about. Yeah, because I, I want to hear that story, but. uh so Matt calls me the other night and I'd actually, 
as I'm getting into this whole podcast, I had like a list of all this stuff I had to do. I had to hash out be brand new to it, like totally green. I have no idea what I'm doing. And a list of, of guys that I know that I want to have on this podcast. Cause a big thing I want is guys that live up here and, uh, and, or like have, have a lot of experience hunting up here. Um, kind of a, a personal side note and i i think I, I don't know if i was talking to ryan avery about this on our podcast but you know i've kind of new to understanding what podcasts are and started listening to a bunch of them and and i guess it, not only podcasts but uh, whether it's tv or whatever like i don't feel like those of us who live up here and hunt up here are very well represented necessarily i i, I agree and i think we're a little behind the times with some of that oh yeah totally we're talking oh we get on the interweb and (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but yeah so matt calls me the other night and basically well a to tell me i needed to take my recurve on this toke sheep tag i got oh yeah honestly like it's probably not gonna happen (laughs) i had to give him a hard time about that but uh that and and also i mean kind of encourage me uh, encouraging me on this podcast deal because it's kind of you know putting yourself out there and and I've been doing it in some respects, writing for Outdoor Life, but uh, kind of takes the leap to do it. But most important thing is I want, I don't know, I just want to represent us well, like guys like us, guys who live up here. Because you could, you know, you can say whatever you want, but it's the guys you're around and hunting with that know whether or not you're full of crap. Yeah, and that's that's very true. Um, yeah, we had a pretty good talk the other night. I thought um, that was terrible. <laughs> well, anytime, no, it, no, anytime you're great. talking hunting or anything, yeah. it's it's good. But um, yeah, actually, I, I really appreciate you having me on here. But I did. I I just I don't know. I felt like I should call you and just give you encouragement about the whole podcast thing. You know, I've had similar thoughts, but I just I never did anything with it. You know, I just yeah, you know. Tyler was thinking about the same thing, you know, nothing was ever, um, represented Alaska or guys that are hunting in Alaska, not to, not to a very, uh, good extent in my mind, Yeah, you know, and, you know, nothing against those other people talking about Alaska or hunting Alaska, but very few of those people were people that lived here. Yeah. And And with, you know. It just takes, you know, it's so different up here. And I talked about this a lot in episode one with Frank that it takes a while to, re- I don't know if you could ever fully like understand it. I mean, I look at the old timers and they're so much more experienced than we are. And most of those guys, the guys I like would love to have on here. I don't think I'll ever be able to convince them to do it. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't know about that. You yeah. Know? Well, it's like we talk, they don't know what it is. They just, you know, they're stuck in their way. I'm going to be out you know, on the interweb. Yeah. Anybody can listen to this. Yeah, that, w- that would be my dad, for sure. 100% there. But yeah, it's exciting. And I, what I meant to say, and I realize in my process of doing this, that I often, and probably quite a bit just in conversation, tend to hopscotch around topics and not complete my thoughts. Where I was going with that originally, Matt was was on my list of people that I wanted on here, so it wasn't just because you called me. <laughs> no, I that's what well, you had said. That's why I told you. Well, you tell me first what you were gonna yeah. you were gonna say, <laughs> and uh, yeah, 
I uh, I just thought it was. I think it's a really cool thing, and like I said, I just wanted to encourage you to follow through and keep going with it. And you yeah, know, I'll do my I, best. I think I just think it's it's awesome, just because I think that we have been. I don't want to say misrepresented, but you know, not just not the topic is not. It's it sounds all great, you know. People want to come here and hunt, and but I think a lot of the stuff you hear is I don't want to say not truthful. There is truthful stuff out there, but it's just not represented to I think the extent that hopefully Tyler will be able to portray. You know, well, and I and I hope so. And I mean, getting just on, not to get too like too balled up in uh in uh what's philosophical about yeah, it but yeah we don't have to go too deep on that <laughs> but, but. I'm, I'm, pr- I'm not that deep i'm <laughs> like a shallow pond but, <laughs> with a cement bottom <laughs> yeah. but um a swimming the pool, kiddie huh? pool about <laughs> as deep as the kiddie pool but um i don't know like there wasn't like there's a lot of podcasts i enjoy listening to but there's nothing that i i, I see <laughs> I'm kind of contradicting myself as you see, but there's nothing like I can really relate to, but it's one of those like this podcast, I want it to be something that I would listen to. And I, I don't know, I hold my, um, my own worst critic in some of that, but, uh, I don't know. I want it to be something that guys like you and guys, I have a lot of respect for up here that, that do know what they're doing. Um, enjoy listening to as well. Cause like, who cares if I'm just blowing smoke, you know, trying to, trying to, elevate myself for whatever whatever reasons i mean it just seems pointless to me but well i think too there's a and there's just there's a lot of guys out there that nobody's ever heard of yeah and their accomplish accomplishments are huge oh yeah you know what i mean In, in the hunting realm or or whatever and i i just think that you know having more of the the local guy yeah you know to hear just their story or you know some of their experiences or you know i mean especially if you can get some an old timer yeah i there's you know, a couple I'm, that i'm gonna keep trying because i mean there's cool stories mm-hmm. i mean there are some really cool stories out there and you know what we would consider the good old days yeah you know which you know, we're going to be saying the same thing later on in our life, but it's, I enjoy hearing that kind of stuff. Oh, me too. And, you know, especially like, you know, you've talked to old trappers and I'm sure, you know, more old time trappers and stuff. And it was, it was a different time when they they were trapping. I mean, it was back when you could actually make a living trapping, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's and that's a whole nother topic. I'm sure you'll touch on later, but yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, just I guess that's probably probably enough. But you, you know, you listen to a podcast to listen to me talk about why I'm doing the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little boring, but uh, something that'll that'll perk everybody up. Well, we can talk some sheep hunting. Uh, sure. Matt's done probably as much or more sheep hunting than I've done. Well, I'd say I've been on a lot of hunts. I won't say all of them very successful hunts, but um, I've killed a few rams. And um, that's something like I was alluding to earlier with my brother. My brother grew up being just sheep crazy. Um, And I never really, I didn't really 
it was cool, but I was kind of like, yeah, I could kind of take it or leave it type of yeah. a thing, even though I never did it. I mean, I'm talking when we were teenagers, you know, and he was just always like, when I'm old enough, I'm going sheep hunting. And so, like I said, I, I was about, I was 20 and, uh, we put together a sheep hunt. We ended up actually, uh, sheetrock in a guy's house to pay for our trip yeah <laughs> that's how we paid for our trip and uh as much as i i hate sheetrock but it was worth it yeah, you know like, uh <laughs> but like well finishing out this place last fall like realized why every sheetrocker i think i've ever known has been alcoholic yeah i think it, it's <laughs> enough to drive you nuts um but anyway we uh we ended up going in on this this hunt and we didn't really know what we were doing. You know, I think a lot of sheep hunters started out. I know I did. My brother. I got, did too. Well, we got Tony Russ's book. Yeah. You know, Sheep Hunting Alaska. Of course, we read that thing about 50 times and, you know. Quick side note. I have, I, uh, coming back from a goat hunt one time, I stopped by his house and down there and he, he still had, cause I had a first edition. It was all trashed and everything. He still had some, signed it for me, so that was pretty cool. That that is cool. I, I've talked to him uh, one time. I think he was up here for like the outdoor show or something. I don't yeah. remember, but that's the only time I ever had met him. And I should have brought my book and had him sign it, but I, I didn't have it with me. Um, but anyway, you know, that's kind of how, it, and I would say back then, going back to the interwebs, we had like dial up. It was so slow. Oh, yeah. you, you couldn't look up anything like you can nowadays. Um, and there wasn't Google or YouTube. No, <laughs> it was, it was pretty pathetic really, you know, in my, in my book and I mean, where I lived, I mean, we had the slowest internet. I mean, really I, it's only been maybe 10 or eight years that I've actually had really fast internet at my house. Yeah. You know, it was, I mean, it was, Anyway, that's a whole nother story, but the, um, read that book, you know, I don't know how many times kind of was learning about gear, what we needed and we planned this thing. And I just remember my brother was going to use a Coleman. I mean, literally the sleeping bag would have took up half his backpack Yeah, as far as space. And not to mention that it weighed probably 10 pounds or eight pounds, you know I mean? Just ridiculous yeah and uh, i had bought i had went down and i found a a marmot sleeping bag on sale and i was like it had to be lightweight i'm just it's kind of when i got into the lightweight thing a little yeah. bit more or was more conscious about it and uh i bought this bag they had it on sale ended up buying it and i was showing it to him and i said you ought to just go get one of these i mean they're a good price it's a 30 degree bag, you know, weighed a pound, two ounces or something. It really wasn't warm enough. Yeah. You know, looking back now and I still have it. It's actually my summer bag. I still use it. Um, but talked him into that. And then I bought a pair, I also bought a pair of Mendel boots. You know, those are, yep. you know, and it was like about broke the bank to buy those things, you know, back then I was just like, yeah, that's a lot of money to spend on some boots, you know, yeah. just for sheep hunting. But I kind of just dove in. Mm -hmm. my, and my brother was just like, eh. He hunted in 
Carhartt pants, whites boots. We had heavy rain gear. You know, I mean, we weren't very lightweight, but we we had a few lightweight things. But we planned a 14-day hunt for our first sheep hunt. We were that's, just like... That's that's going out there. <laughs> we were like 14 days. We were getting flown in. Um, anyway, so we we studied maps. We figured out where we were going and all that. We got flown in. And uh, the we had multiple, like, pickup points where we could go. Yeah. Because we really didn't know... We're like, well, maybe we'll go over this glacier and see what's over here. And then if that doesn't work, you know, we can hunt this down this drainage and there's a place to get picked up down here. And uh, so we had multiple locations and our, our buddy that had flown us in there, he uh, he was like, I'll, when I come in to get you guys, you know, I'll just fly all those areas and uh, look for you. Well, anyway, we hunted probably... I'll try to make it short and not draw it out too long, but um, I think we hunted five or six days before we ever even saw a sheep, even a ewe. That gets discouraging fast. Yeah. yeah. And then finally we started finding sheep, you know, and there were ewes, lambs, and there was lots of them, but we just, the, the rams were eluding us. I mean, it was just, so we just kept covering country and... One day we were going, we decided to cross this glacier and we were at the toe of the glacier and there's all this moraine. It was really rough. And there was this one mountain with like a saddle, pretty steep mountain right by this glacier. And there was a saddle in it. And there was these two rams that we seen come over the saddle. They came down and fed and then they'd go back up. And we watched them do that for two days. And we were like, that's their pattern. That's what we're going to, we're going to play on that pattern we need to get up to that saddle and that's where we're going to ambush them and we knew the one was a legal ram but the other one we weren't 100 percent sure of yeah and we pretty much decided my brother was going to get first crack because he was more sheep nuts than i was so mm -hmm. it was kind of like well if that's the only legal ram in those two you can shoot the first one and uh we went up to that saddle and this is also we this is kind of a tip in my mind. I would prefer in most cases to carry my gear with me. Yeah. I, I'm not a, not that I, not to say that I haven't had a base camp, but I really like to carry my gear and be mobile because I've just been in situations to where I wished I had my stuff. Yeah. You know, my gear. It would save me. I mean, I might be a little slower lugging my gear. And it, it, it obviously is, it's depending on the terrain too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to go up. This is me personally. I'm not going up and down, up and down, up and down carrying, you know, my gear. And back then, you know, I'm, you're talking 50, well, my pack wasn't that. And I'm going to get to that in here in a second, but you're, you're talking that I'm just not willing to, to carry everything through super steep country up and down, up and down a whole bunch of times. I might do it once or twice, but yeah. you got to bring that stuff out with your, with your sheep, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But I just like the mobile aspect. So we went up there by that pass close to it. We actually found a place to camp. We brought all our gear to camp and stay up there and the weather moved in and the weather was socked in for like three days, snowing, sleeting, wind. 
and my brother had a Sierra Designs tent, two-man tent. We're in there like sardines. I made up my mind then that I, we needed a bigger tent, <laughs> you know. So I, I, you know, later on I, I put in the research and found a what I thought was a lightweight but three-man tent, and been using that actually ever since. I mean, for, for myself, um, my brother eventually bought one too. And uh, anyway, it was so horrible being in that tent been there <laughs> like that you stink you you know you're you know it's like being sick and laying in the tent for you know like when you lay in bed and you just get all stiff and yeah you know it's just uncomfortable and uh nothing to do well my brother had brought a deck of cards so we played cards and you know <laughs> trying to pass the time yeah well we finally got a break in the weather and we went up to try to find these rams and we couldn't find them and uh, so we started exploring around the top of that mountain and down the other side, kind of where that saddle had been on the other side, we found the two rams bedded and they were about 300 yards away. And well, I take that back. They were about 400 yards away when we first spotted them from the top, but we were able to move in to about 300 and one ram was facing us and one ram was looking out the valley the other way. And so when that ram that was facing us kind of was, they were sleeping. So he would kind of bob his head and lay it down and then he'd pick it back up really slow. So, but when he was doing that, we'd try to move in a little closer. Well, it got to where he didn't put his head back down. He kind of just sat up and we're like, well, this is as close as we're going to get. And this fog bank came around the, the valley and you know, it was kind of misty and foggy a little, but you could tell it was going to get really thick. And I Mm -hmm. said, man, if it gets thick, let's just boogie, go down as far as we can. So that's how we got in close, closer, you know, and, uh, we, uh, got set up. My brother got set up on the one that he ended up killing. And I still wasn't sure that the one that I was going to shoot was legal. I mean, that was like the one, the one horn was broomed. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just like, and that was the horn that I could see. I couldn't like the other side. I could never tell if he was full curl or not. I'm just like, well, when my brother shot his, the plan was, okay, you know, I'm going to shoot. And then the other one's either going to run away or stand there or do something. And in that split opportunity of that sheep standing up, like his buddy, my brother killed it right in its bed, basically. Mine jumped up and... I had that split second to like, you know, put everything together and go, yeah, it's legal or not legal. Yeah. And I determined it was legal and I shot it and missed. (laughs) And so I jacked and it just stood there. I, I, and I should prelude this a little bit with, this ended up being a borrowed rifle that I, that I took. Yeah. I was having shooting problems with my rifle before we left. And really it was my only rifle that I would consider taking sheep hunting. I wasn't gonna lug a three thirty eight or a three seventy five sheep yeah. hunting. And it's only it's an old service rifle adage. You never have to shoot good, you just have to have a good excuse ready. <laughs> well, that's true. But I I did have a hard time. This is this ended up being a a, a Winchester seven millimeter 
Um, and you know, I'd never even shot a seven millimeter up till before we left. And I was trying to sight this thing in and I, I didn't get it where I wanted it really, but yeah, that's why I was trying to get closer. And I'm not even going to describe how filthy this thing was when I got it from a friend of <laughs> ours. Um, but I have a feeling that's why it didn't shoot very good. I mean, I cleaned it and stuff, yeah. but I think he had been shooting it this way for quite a period of time. And I, I mean, I don't know if the barrel was shot out cause it was so filthy all the time or what, I don't know, but I'll speed the story up that I shot multiple times at that Ram and he gave me, I mean, he, he gave me plenty of opportunity and my brother kept telling me I was shooting low and it was shooting, I was shooting downhill. So I'm like, okay, I need to hold even higher. And finally it ran off. So I'm just like, I, I blew my chance, you know? And so me and him are, you know, it's cool for sheep for him and we're congratulating him, or I'm con- congratulating him. And anyway, we walked down there to his ram. We're looking at it, you know, and neither one of us had ever seen sheep up close like that. So it was cool. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I look over, here's this ram I shot at. He came walking back and you know, only thing I can think of, he's looking for his buddy. Yeah. And, uh, he came walking back and I'm just like, I really didn't know what to do. I mean, my gun was pretty much empty. And so I'm fumbling around finding shells and I'm putting them back in my rifle. And I finally ended up killing the sheep on that time, but it was seven shots later. I got the sheep. So you got your sheep. Yeah. So long story short, we got the sheep and, uh, we had a pretty extreme pack out too. We ended up not knowing where we decided that where we killed those sheep, it was on, it was down another valley that was one of our options to get picked up in. And there was an airstrip down there. And my brother had been flown in up that valley and he pointed out the airstrip to my brother. And we didn't, I mean, this, we didn't have sat phone. We didn't have a GPS. Just out there on your own. We're out there on our own. And, and really honestly, and call me stupid, I still do that a lot. Um, even when I'm hunting by myself and probably not smart. I'm, I'm, I really want to get it. I, I'd like to buy one of these in reaches, you know, they're nice. And, uh, I have a sat phone, but I haven't paid the subscription Bob fee for, for it. it. And it's just like, I just think with that in reach anymore, it's to me, it's a better deal than the, the sat phone. Yeah. But anyway, so we go looking for this, we butcher these sheep. We camped right there, got everything deboned, packed it up. And I mean, we're pretty, we were pretty, well, for first time packing sheep. So we didn't really know like what we were getting ourselves into. And we started down this, the following day started down this, um, draw down into the valley where this, it was a very, it was a small river, shallow river in the bottom. Pretty steep though, getting down and it was slow going. And, but we were trucking along and we're, I would say we're a half a mile to the main part of the valley or, or in the river bottom. And my brother, like I was explaining to you earlier, he's, he's a mountain goat. And I mean, he just goes, he's like a hundred yards ahead of me. And, you know, we're both carrying our own sheep, our own gear. And he, like, he's doing this in whites 
work, you know, yeah. logger boots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how he did it. It would kill my feet, you know. I would wear those things to work, and they killed my feet, you yeah. know. And was, anyway, all of a sudden, I look across this creek. That we're, you know, we're down this little draw, and there's a wolverine standing about, he ain't 20 feet away from me. And he was just wandering up the creek. I don't know how my brother missed him. I really don't. He walked yeah. right by him. And I just, I think I just happened, I don't, maybe he was standing still. And I happened to see him, and I'm just like, holy cow, you know, that was the first wolverine I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, like alive running around somewhere. And... I, this ain't a shameless plug, but I had that Kafaru pack we were just talking about. Yeah. With like, the, that, I the, called it, I called it the quick draw. Yeah. You the, know. And this was like an original long hunter. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I had never used that system before. You know, this was the first hunt I actually bought that pack for this, for this hunt, you know, and, um, Back then, I, I mean, I spent a lot of money on that thing. I, you know, people thought I was nuts because most people were using Cabela's frames and, yeah, you know, and I had an old like camp trails frame mm -hmm. and I'm like, I ain't taking that thing sheet button. It's uncomfortable with 20 pounds in it, let alone, yeah. you know. So anyway, but uh, that's real. I think one of the main reasons I got that Wolverine was because I pulled that little quick release strap yep. and I mean, my gun was out like yeah. now. And people laugh, you know, seven shots to kill that first ram. And I killed the Wolverine on a run at, he's about a hundred yards by now because he's running. Yeah. I killed him one shot on the run. It was probably lucky, but he was dead. Yeah. And, uh, after the fact, it was, this is kind of funny, but I'm like, oh man, is it Wolverine season? <laughs> you know and it ended up being it was in september you know yeah. and it had opened the first i believe back then if i remember right but, but you're, <laughs> i was you just, don't totally it, think things through yeah it, you. it just happened so fast that anyway but i still to this day i actually regret shooting it yeah because for one the fur was not prime yeah it, it, it and i shot it with a seven millimeter i mean it blew this thing it did some damage for sure Oh, yeah. And it was a mess, the skin, you know, and anyway, I, so I threw this thing on my pack. It probably weighed 30 pounds. It ended up being a small female. It was an old Wolverine, you know, I mean, I still have the skull from it and it, and the hide, but it's nothing really to look at. Yeah. But, uh, the, the teeth on that thing were just wore off, you yeah. know, just flattened, which is kind of cool. I mean. Oh, yeah. But. I just added, I added 30 pounds to my pack now, you know, <laughs> instantly. and it's instantly, you know, and I wasn't going to stop and skin it right there. Cause the plan was, was to get to the river bot or the river down there. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I can pack, I'll throw, I'll, ex I'll carry the extra weight. We only got like a half mile, you know, we finally get down there and I'm just like, it's, it's dark. And I'm like, no, I got to, I'm just, we're beat and I got to skin this Wolverine. And they're not super easy to skin no, hanging the, in the shop. They're you know? not. They're you, you can't peel them. They're everything's super yeah. tight on them. Yeah, but uh, the feet the the feet are horrible in my opinion yeah. to, to do on a Wolverine. I don't know why. I'll have to. Well, the biggest thing I noticed with the feet and just everything on a Wolverine, like another rabbit trail, but that's okay. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, the feet on a Wolverine, like everything, the hide just the 
connective tissues or whatever you want to call it, or everything's super tight. That hide is just stuck to that critter. Yep. And the feet are tight. They got five toes. Yep. Instead of four, like, you know, canines and cats and all that stuff. But uh, the biggest thing I noticed, because I skinned a lot of them, I had like seven of them hanging on the wall here that I put up and just took in. But, uh, anyway, like you got to dig for that last toe knuckle, whereas wolves and, you know, the way I skin them anyway, you can fully expose that knuckle. Well, but, I think the skin peels over. It's like... Yeah, that skin it, will peel over the knuckle. On that wolverine, it don't want to. Nope. Yeah, it it was a nightmare. To, yeah. Really to do. And anyway, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say why, while we're on, while we're on this this foray through the through the willows, I uh, I totally I know I know what you mean like feeling bad shooting for one the first thing and I, I figured you'd say oh he wasn't prime and stuff and all oh, the past few years for yeah several years now I've put up fur for this fur buyer in town and uh do a lot of the, like taxidermy quality skinning you know wolves and wolverines all this stuff and i don't know it, it i kind of get to be a so, and softy in a way because i'm like uh, you know guy oh i shot a wolf and i was out moose hunting i'm like god you should have waited till he's prime <laughs> you know i know he's just he's worthless but you know and and I'd probably I'd do the same thing, especially with wolves, because for just the save a few sheep or moose, moose yeah. factor. But yeah, the critters like wolverines are kind of special, and I was, it always irks me like when I see sled damage on them or or stuff. You know, you like to be able to get the absolute most out of them possible, but as possible. But uh, that's a whole like we can yeah. we can curtail no, that it, side trail. But yeah, and that's something we should talk about. Um, Definitely, I think later is like for handling. Yeah, because I think that's a very misconceived uh, thing. I think people could handle their fur a lot better, and oh. I won't go down that rabbit trail. But but you know, like you know what I you know what I mean. Oh, you see absolutely. a lot of fur, and I see a ton of it, and it's uh you know, because when you know the potential of what it could be, and you're out there killing these critters, you know, for their fur, and then if you it's kind of da- like a, yeah if you're damaging it you're you're lessening the value of it and, and you know it's like you're out there killing these critters for their fur like no apologies about it but when you don't when you don't get the most like get the most but how do i say this i'm struggling here <laughs> you I, when you don't reach the full potential for that animal i mean it feels to me like well, you're kind of wasting it yeah you're cheapening the uh, I, don't, I don't really know how to say it either, I guess, but yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of cheapening the value of it really. I mean, cause all this stuff, I, in my opinion, has some sort of a value, especially when oh, it yeah. comes to fur. I mean, yeah. that's, it cracks me up. I'm not even going to go down that trail. Okay. We'll, we'll leave that to another time, but yeah. it, it, it's pertaining to trapping and that's a whole nother thing that I enjoy to do. And we will cover on this podcast, but, uh. <laughs> Anyway, so that that whole sheep hunt, I'll I'll finish this out by you know the we ended up walking for two days down this river bed. This is after we camped, got the wolverine skin, um, and we're trying to find this airstrip. And my brother keeps going, "Well, it's kind of in these flats, and you know, I mean, like I said, we had no GPS, no yeah. nothing. We didn't. I mean, and I mean, our we're just." At this point, we're dying. We've been hiking for three days, packing full loads, and we're still not even, we don't even know where we're going, really. Yeah. 
And <laughs> we finally just called it quits for the day. Let's make camp right here, right in the middle of the river valley. Yeah. Right here. We're just going to make camp here. Drop our packs. We're setting the tent up. And I look over on the riverbank, and it's maybe 50 yards away. And I see this. It looks like a bench. Like a log bench that somebody <laughs> had made. And I'm like, huh, wonder what that is. So I walked over there, and it, that's what exactly what it was. It was a bench that somebody had made, and it was sitting right on the edge of the river the river bank up kind of in the, the timber there. And I'm like, that was, that was a tip off to me. I'm like, there's an airstrip here. It's yeah. gotta be. So I start wandering around over in the woods and all of a sudden I come out in this willow patch and sure enough, there's a stinking airstrip right there. <laughs> and you, you're, oh. Yeah. So <laughs> we I went, I went back, told my brother and we were like, oh man, you know, and, up to this point, we have five days left before we're even scheduled to be picked up. You know, we were this is yeah. a fourteen day hunt. We had like five days left by the time. Um, so we're like, you know, if we didn't find that airstrip, we would have got up in the morning, packed our bags, and kept on walking. Oh man! <laughs> and you know, there's probably some spots on that river that he could have landed. I mean, if we finally would have just said enough's enough, we're just gonna hang out here. He'll fly over eventually and find us. You know, we'll be right out here in the middle somewhere. It's going to be where he can see us. Yeah, but talking about a whole nother level of unknowns and yeah. stress or, you know, stress yeah, and, when, and, when you don't have any means of communication. Yeah, no communication. And and uh, he was actually, our, our pilot buddy, he was pretty notorious for, he liked to drop notes out the window of the airplane. Yeah, be back in a week. <laughs> Stuff like that. And, you know, you talking about tote permits and you know i've had a tow permit and that's a whole nother that's a story too and same me and my brother were going to walk 40 miles back to the road when i killed that ram yeah that's what we were going to do because the buddy that f flew us in same guy that flew us in on this first sheep hunt even though this had been years later um he wasn't sure that he was going to be able to get back to get us and this was my last chance to get a sheep in there yeah. And, you know, it's a coveted tag. Mm -hmm. You draw it, you're probably not going to get it again. You know, it's possible, but you may not. And that's all I, I'd put in so much effort. I was willing to do anything. Yeah. That at that time. And I'm like, it's going to suck. I know it, but I don't care. We're mm -hmm. going to do it. And it was literally a 40 mile from where I ended up killing my ram, mm -hmm. it would have been roughly 40 miles back to the road. And then we would have had to hitchhike from there. Yeah. And so it all ended up working out. And I, you know, I can talk about that story if you want, but um, back to that first sheep hunt, we made camp at the airstrip, you know, and this goes to where I was going to start out with, I should have mentioned at the beginning. So when I went in, I was, I was trying to be this, uh, lightweight badass, even though I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Yeah. Um, my brother, before we left on that trip, called and said, Hey, what's your backpack weigh? And I get out my fish scale and I throw it on there and I'm like, I throw my rifle on with it. And I'm like, 45 pounds. And this is for a 14 day hunt. 
That's lighter than my 10-day backpack now. (laughs) Well, so he's like, what the heck? How how did you uh, get it down so low? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I said, this is what I've got. I went over everything. Really, what I chinsed on was food. I thought I had enough food. But, you know, around about day 10, I was out of food. Yeah. And I'm mooching food for my brother. We're eating sheet meat. But if we hadn't killed something, I don't know what we would have did. I would have been looking for grouse or squirrels or I don't know, whatever. But that was a learning curve for me um, was don't chintz on food. I mean, I... You can always dump extra food out if you need to. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and (laughs) you could... Or you could just pawn your food off on your hunting partner, so yeah. it lightens your backpack. And then if you run out, he still has plenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so anyway, the that was one of the big things that I learned on that trip was, you know, and I think I, I'm always learning. I still am learning. Oh, me too. And and still trying to refine gear and refine things, and I'm still not an expert. And, and you're also limited by budget with some of this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, which we've talked about, you know, and uh, I just, but we were both hooked. I mean, people say when, you you know, I took a friend of mine into Toke. He applied one time and drew. Typic- one, typical. Typical. Yeah. You know, <laughs> those, those guys. Anyway. <laughs> And and he had never sheep hunted. He'd never even carried a backpack, like, in the mountains before. And I'd been on multiple sheep hunts up to that point, you know. And, um, you know, I had hunted in there already, killed my ram, and ended up taking him. And he got extremely lucky. Um, I mean, he worked for his sheep. But, and, and this really... And maybe this will lead into your next topic, unless you want to keep talking about sheep on, which I'm more than happy to. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we've got time. Well, I'm, uh, you get so into the weeds uh, and all this different stuff and stuff comes up. So there's plenty of material I'm banking on to keep this podcast interesting and rolling for some time. <laughs> I'm Not sure, this episode. No, but. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there is. So, well, anyway, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of go in. I'll make a short story out of that one, but... Um, and, and this wasn't my hunt. It was a friend of mine's and he had talked me into going with him because he didn't really, he had never did it before, had no clue. And, uh, by then I felt a lot more, I, I don't know, I'd probably been on three or four sheep hunts maybe up to this point. You get a better idea for what to expect and just what you're in for, you know? Yeah. And, and going back to the gear, you, you've kind of refined your gear a little bit and up to that point, I think I had... A, a pretty good grasp on what I needed, what I didn't need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was kind of helping him out, you know, and me and him both, we were working construction. We worked for the same company and, you know, we were doing pretty well at the time. And he was kind of just like, money's no object right now. I'll just get whatever gear you recommend. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. And so I'm like, Okay, you know, and I had already, I'd spent, you know, four years of accumulating this stuff by, for myself. Yeah. And he's just going to go drop it, a wad of cash and stuff and just buy it right now. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
you don't even know if you're going to like it, you know? Yeah. And this is what I was going to say. Some people will sheep hunt and they don't like it. But typically if you like it, you're hooked on it. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, you, you might be hooked on it. He goes, all I want is just a legal sheep. That's all I, I just want to say that I've shot a doll sheep. And I said, okay. I said, well, you got a good tag to do that for sure. You know? So we hunted, I don't know, it was three, four days. We flew in, he paid for everything to fly in and, and we hunted three or four days, found a couple little banana horns and we found this valley that was just loaded with rams, but I couldn't make any of them legal. I'm like, this is kind of, I'd never seen that there before. Yeah. And I want to say, I think we, I'm trying to remember, we sat up there one evening and there was like a little band of sheep over here, a little band over there. I mean, there must've been 30 or 40 rams, but I couldn't, at the distances we were at, I couldn't make any of them legal. Like nothing really stood out. You know, mm-hmm. you see a big sheep, you know, it's big. Oh yeah. There was nothing like that. So I'm sure there were some legal rams in those bunches, but I think they were just young or mediocre rams. And the the ridge that we were on, there had been two rams feeding out on that hillside for a couple evenings. We had, we had finally, those were the closest sheep we'd ever found after the banana horns that I thought had a little bit of potential. There was one we knew that probably another year he would have been full curl. Yeah. But he didn't drop low. He, he To me, he just wasn't, I don't think he was going to be one of the. Your classic toe yeah, sheep. Yeah. I mean, and that's what a lot of people are after mm-hmm. in there, you know. Anyway, um, but the other ram, I said, you know, it's not an overly large ram, but I said it's he- it's a heavy horned sheep because that's the other thing. Those sheep in there are not known for being having mass. Yeah, really. You know, compared to other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was a little broomed on one side, you know, but I, you know, I felt like I was a fairly good judge of sheep at that point. I looked at enough of them and studied pictures and all this stuff that I could judge one fairly well for size. And I never aged a sheep either Mm -hmm. until two years ago on that, the hunt, my bow hunt. Um, Anyway, the, we ended up making a play on those sheep that night. They came out on the ridge right below us. And we were trying to get in position and we ended up spooking them. And the, the ram, we determined that it was a legal ram and he was like, yeah, that's good enough. I'm going to shoot that one. And I, I put it at 37, which is on the lower end of length, in my opinion, for that unit. Yeah. But it wasn't my place to say yes or no. You know, it was, that was, it was his hunt. And, but, but I, I don't know. I, because of the mass of it, I would have had a hard time, mm-hmm. but we had, we had, still had a lot of time to hunt. It wasn't like we were at the end of our hunt either. Yeah. But I disrespected what he wanted to shoot. And I said, all right, we'll go for it. Well, we ended up spooking him. He had him at 90 yards above us and he's got his rifle on my shoulder and I'm trying to film this stuff. And I'm like, this isn't going to be good. And I, I told him, don't, don't, 
you know, don't shoot, don't shoot, because I knew my ears were going to get blown out. You know, I had a video camera in one hand. He's using my shoulder as a rest, the other shoulder, up up the mountain at the sheep. And I said, let's just, let's not spook them. They're, you know, the sheep in here are not that skittish. They're not like some areas where if you scare a sheep, they're... Ten ridges they over. They see you from a mile away, and they're yeah. leaving the country. Yeah. So I said, let's not. Let's just. Let's just let him walk away. So we did, and of course he's a little disappointed, you know, because that was the closest call he had had up to that point, and uh, we decided to move our camp. You know that at the beginning of that that day that morning before we went up there, we ended up moving our camp towards the base of that hill. So we were pretty much like right where sheep were going to be and kind of in this little low spot there was like a little trickle of a creek and just a tiny bit of brush and that's where we put the tent and uh so anyway we went back to the tent and when we made the stock on the sheep we made the mistake of leaving our backpacks up on this ridge so we had to walk all the way up there to get them and then come back which i've kind of learned not to do that anymore either (laughs) me too and uh, we got back to the tent. It was dark. And uh, this is towards the end of August, mid to end of August. I don't remember the exact dates. But um, we went to sleep. And the whole time, I'm, I, I didn't sleep good. I don't know if he did, but I didn't sleep that great. I was just kind of, the whole thing was on my mind, you know. Yeah. And uh, got up in the morning. And I unzipped the tent. And I kind of peered out because I've, I've had sheep outside the tent, mm-hmm. you know, never rams. They're, they've always been used, but I mean, I've literally had them right outside the stinking tent. And so I just find myself habit peeking out and looking around. And I looked out and I looked around the hills and I seen this banana horn over on the mountain across from us, which we had seen like every day. He's out there feeding in the morning and... I looked over the top of the tent, up the draw. Here's those two rams right in the creek where we're camped. Oh, man. Like less than, they were less than 100 yards. And I'm just, they were the same too. Yeah. And they were just down there feeding. They had no clue we were there. Or if they did, they didn't care. And I told my buddy, he's laying his sleeping bag. And I'm like, that ram's right outside your tent on your side. And he, he's like, yeah, shut up, whatever. And I'm going, I'm not exaggerating. And he could tell, I think, by my voice that, yeah. that I was I eye. was dead serious. <laughs> and so anyway, anyway, he unzipped his tent, really his side of the tent real slow, and he peeks out, and he was like, you're not kidding. And I said, you could shoot him right here in your sleeping bag. I mean, that's how yeah. it was wide open shot. He used his pack for a rest. He just laid in his sleeping bag on his side, had his rifle out, <laughs> and shot it out of the tent, out of the sleeping bag. Well, and this kind of goes into the, you know, some of my wannabe filming stuff that I was trying to do, you know. I had the video camera running, and I had this new video camera on this hunt. This is the first time I ever used it. I only had two batteries for it, and I had two batteries that had the last me the whole hunt. So I was very selective of what I was filming, mm-hmm. you know, because I wanted to get some shooting on there, yeah. you know? 
and I did a little filming, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, you can't really show the whole hunt if you don't film, but I was like, well. Well, it's like, is this going to be a uh, day two or three thing or right at the end of the hunt? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and so I, I just did what I could and I was recording over the top of him while he's getting all situated. So I've got some film of these two rams right there and they're just milling around eating and I told him it goes back to I was conserving battery. And at that point I shouldn't even have cared, really. Yeah. Hindsight. But I said, Tell me when you're ready to shoot. I turned the, I hit stop on the record button and he gets situated and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot. Well, on the this was a Canon VH twenty or something video camera and it had this little small the record button was pretty small on it. Yeah. Well, I thought I hit record. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, the camera was still on, but I just, I didn't hit the record mm -hmm. all the way. And you still see the picture on the screen. Yeah. But I didn't look to see there was a little red light or whatever flashing that it was recording. I'm like, okay, I'm on him. He shoots, ram falls, you know, and we're like all excited and. You know, this is cool. So I'm like, dude, that is never going to happen again. I've never seen anything like it, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, uh, I got it all on video. Yeah. Well, yeah, I felt really, I, I was proud of myself. I was just like, oh man, this is just cool, you know? And we go look at, we go up to look at the Ram and, and I do some other video, like when we're walking up to mm -hmm. it and whatever. And we get the skin in it, we get it all done we take some photos and do all that kind of stuff and he says let let me see the video let's play it back i want to see it <laughs> it was nowhere to be found and i'm just like i i mean from a going from that extreme high yeah it was kind of like it was a letdown a little bit because i'm like are you kidding really i i was like i must not have hit the record and he's like i could tell he was a little bad you know, a <laughs> little bit upset about it because I mean, it, like I told him, you know, he didn't really know, but I'm like, dude, that is never, I've, that's never going to happen again. It won't. Yeah. I mean, not out of the tent like that, you know, maybe around your camp, but laying in your sleeping bag, yeah. shooting right out of the side of the tent. I mean, no. it's just not going to happen. So I, I got razzed pretty hard about that for a long time. Oh, I believe. It. And, and. After that, I, that, that's when I kind of made up my mind that I was like, I need to just make, I just need to record everything. It's just got to, I got to record whatever it is. Yeah. You know, carry whatever batteries I need or, and you know, that thing was taking those tapes, those little. That's the first sheep I killed. My cousin packed one of them cameras with the little mini tapes yep. and I have, I have it on VHS somewhere. Yep. I think I actually did a little like. Video. I, I got it on my phone because I videotaped the, the TV, TV screen. Because you know, I'm I'm too, I'm too simple minded to go through whatever process you got to do to digitize it. Or well, and that's I've got I I when me and you first met, I told I told you I had a bunch of video. Um, I don't know if you remember that. But, yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> um, and believe it or not, I still have not been able to get that stuff off of those tapes. Um, I know that you can do it. Um, there's a local place here that will do it, but I, 
I'm too much of a cheapskate to do it because it's going to be pretty expensive. I tried doing it myself, um, and uh, I, I bought a little bit of equipment to do it. But the problem was it was a it ended up converting it, but it's in a real low resolution. Oh, I see. And so, uh, to me, I'm because it was a high definition uh, video camera when I bought it. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so I recorded in 1080 you know, at the time. And it's, even though it's on a tape, it's, it needs to be just put onto a digital format. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I basically, long story, I don't have the equipment to do it in the, in the 1080 resolution. Yeah. Um, I'm still working on that, but because of now I'm running a different camera and, you know, you just get sidetracked. Yeah. Well, I'm already, I'm very overwhelmed with the amount of the video and photo stuff that I have, I don't have up to maybe a year ago. I st- finally started to get a little organized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and pretty much what I told myself was I had this backlog of probably 10 or 12 years of video that I was like, you know what, all that's just going to, I'm going to have to put it on the back burner at least for now, because yeah. I'm accumulating all this current stuff and trying to, you know, I'm I'm dumb when it comes to that. I mean, I've I've been getting better. You oh, know, me we, too. we were talking about it, but um, I just I pretty much have to keep this, my current stuff organized. Eventually, I'll get around to some of that others, but yeah, and and, that, and I probably should do it sooner and later because I think really the longer I wait, the the harder it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it, it'll be that much more outdated. It, it'd be like trying to take a you know, an eight track and, you know, at some yeah. point that's what it's going to yeah, be. Take an eight track and turn it into an MP3 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that would, I'd love to see you do that. Just, I mean, you've told me about some of the stuff like that muskox just yeah. knocking the, trees down and. Yeah. That was actually really cool to see. And that's part of why I like going out. I mean, I, I enjoy hunting and I, I like, I've had so many little experiences that didn't really involve you know shooting something like i said Mm -hmm. i've been on a lot of unsuccessful sheep hunts but i've seen quite a few wolverine in the wild yeah more than i think a lot of people i mean my brother one year he's like what is it with you and wolverine he goes every sheep hunt we've been on you see a wolverine or shoot one and I mean, I've only seen them, not in a trap, I've only seen them a couple times, you know, once sheep hunting and once brown bear hunting. And I don't know, probably, I guess making up a percentage would be completely inaccurate. Yeah. But I'd say the va- it'd be safe to say like the vast majority of the people that live up here in Alaska will never in their life see one. No. I, and I Even though there's, it's not like there's a shortage of them, they're there, but. They're just elusive. Yeah. You know. And I, and I do think the more time you spend out, it definitely is going to increase your chances. But mm-hmm. there's areas, too, that they're just mountainous terrain, for one. I think they're going to be in a lot more than – or you're going to see them. And a part of that, I think, is because it's open country. I mean, yeah. we, me and my wife had a, had one sneak up on us. I, I don't even want to say it snuck up on us. I think it stumbled over the ridge while we were glassing some rams. Mm-hmm. I hear rocks behind us. I turn around. There's a wolverine literally 10 feet away looking at us. And I have it on video too. 
running away because by the time I got yeah. it on my pack, he was scrambling. But he'd run, then he'd stop, and he'd do his little bear stance, you know, yeah, I call yeah. it, and <laughs> stare at you, and then he'd run, and he'd do it again. And But I think he was just, he was trucking along this ridge and came up and over the other side, and we were just below the ridge, so we weren't skylined. And we were looking at these two rams down in the valley, and I just happened to, I, I heard something behind us. I turned around, and there's, there's a wolverine just looking at us. And, you know, that was my wife's first sheep hunting experience there. And she didn't get a ram. She, she shot her first caribou on that trip. And, but the experience that we had, it was, she had all kinds, she got the hike for miles and miles and miles, which I will give her props to. She didn't complain, you know, and you've heard my stories about her trying yeah. to get a sheep and just hasn't happened. And, um, she shot her first caribou, which was awesome. That was actually, that was her second big game animal, but um, we shot caribou. I shot one as well, and, and we were at our tent, and we had a bear sniffing around in the middle of the night that I actually had stalked the night before, and that's a whole other story, but he came down to the tent in the middle of the night, and, I mean, he was almost the nose on the tent sniffing yeah. around, and... I had told my wife that, you know, we're whispering. She actually woke me up. I probably would have slept right through it. I, I'm a pretty hard sleeper. And she was. A little work. No, she she was sleeping real well. She, after that. She, well, she, I don't think she was, she, she's a light sleeper anyway, but I think she heard something and it was him out there sniffing around. And I knew that bear was going to be there that night. I just. I had a feeling that he was. Yeah. We had our meat and stuff wasn't at, well, we had dropped our packs at camp mm -hmm. and then picked them back up. And then we had to go stash our meat and our antlers. We put them up in these rocks. There, I mean, there was no trees where we were at. And we put them up in these rocks, kind of in a shade where, where, where I thought it would be shaded, keep them cool mm -hmm. and away from camp. And, um, yeah, that bear, he sniffed around there. And I mean, at first, I thought she was crazy. I'm like, I don't hear anything. And then I start hearing him, like, that huffing, heavy breathing noise. And I knew exactly. I'm like, yep, that's that bear we yeah. went after. That's the bear <laughs> we went after. And uh, um, I pretty much told her, I said, just sit still. Don't move. We're just going to wait it out. I mean, it's pitch black. It's dark. It's September. Yeah. You know? And... I said, if he puts his nose on the tent, plug your ears. Yeah. Because I was literally going to shoot him in the head right through the tent. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to, but I'm like, that's way too close. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, we actually on a, on one sheep hunt, woke up in the mor one morning, it had, it had snowed that night and we were, um, what the heck were we doing? Packing up the valley, run across these guys that had, they were getting supposed to fly out that day, but there was about six inches of snow on the ground and they're all, all worked up and apparently they'd been sleeping and you could see the tracks. It was a big bear. And, uh, this bear, apparently is they're sleeping. This guy, the bear was pushing on their tent, like pushed in this guy's head with his paw. And then they of course woke him up and I, I don't know how it happened. I wasn't right there. And then the bear took off when he realized there was actually people in there. But 
Well, that, that just reminded me of that story. That was pretty. Well, you hear stories like that, you know, and even maulings like that sometimes. Actually, that same year that that happened to us when we were hunting, um, we got flown back and another friend of mine that had flown us into this particular spot, he was like, yeah, there was a, uh, I believe they got killed, but it was like a backpacking group that had been flown into Gates of the Arctic Mm -hmm. Park up there. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the, I don't remember the whole story. I'll probably butcher it, so I'm not going to even try to describe it. But, you know, that actually kind of freaked my wife out a little bit. Um, oh yeah, you know, because yeah, of the experience like, we had, yeah. you know, and she goes, man, while that was going on, this other, I think it was a girl or a lady, um, had gotten killed by a bear, you know, just yeah. a backpacking group. They were just backpacking type thing. But it, and I, if I remember right, it drug her out of the tent, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, that stuff happens. I, I, I've never been charged, but I'm I've kind of been bluffed a little, like yeah, but not a full on charge. I've I've never had that happen. Yeah, I mean I've had bear encounters, but that's never happened. Um, and I've got some other stories that I'll that are about bears. I'll save probably for some other time, but because I could, I could go on. Oh yeah, about those. But um, yeah, it there's some interesting things that can happen, and unexpectedly, mm-hmm. you know, especially with bears. Yeah, but. Yeah, so I guess before we wrap up, we have to hear the the uh, your first. That was your first sheep with a bow that you killed two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. I, like I said earlier, I was I like to bow hunt. Um, I've tried on other occasions with my recurve to kill a sheep, and I knew that it was a pretty tough tough deal. I mean, I had knew, known of other guys that had tried and hadn't got it done, and I would consider them better probably bow hunters than me. Yeah. And uh, well, and after uh, even rifle having some experience rifle hunting, you get to really wrap your mind around how hard y- that is. Yeah, and I and I would say you know even rifle hunting for sheep. I mean, like I said, I haven't killed that many sheep. I mean. Basically, I've killed three sheep. Yeah. You know, and there's been a lot of times out there, like I said, unsuccessful hunts, Mm -hmm. trying to take my wife to get a sheep, you know, or hunting with my brother. I mean, I've been on other sheep hunts, um, but as far as myself, you know, not to sound selfish or whatever, but I mean, I went with friends. I went with, you know, my brother. My brother's killed, killed a really nice ram. That a hunt I think that's kind won. of the opposite of selfish. But. Well, and I mean, like I said, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And I'm getting to the point now, you know, my kids are older. You know, my daughter's 14, my son's 12, or will be 12 here in a couple of weeks. And they're at the age that they've, you know, they're into, they're getting into the hunting more, a little bit more. Um, both of them have killed bears, um, you know. My son is, and this is a little, another side trail, but, you know, we could talk about kids and hunting or something like that, but the, my son's got, it's kind of funny. He has a list of like things that he wants to go after. Yeah. And I think it's cool. Yeah. You know, 
and reminds me of someone I I used to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I would say I probably never did that. You know, I just it, and I would say that I'm a I'm kind of opportunistic. I mean, most of the stuff that I've got is not enormous. I mean, and I think this goes to show kind of a little bit of like what you were talking about with on that, I don't remember if it was your first podcast or whatever, but the transplant thing. Yeah, yeah. And how people think there's moose around every bush and and it, it's not necessarily that way. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time out and I won't say that I couldn't have, I've already admitted that I could have did some things differently or um, maybe even shot more things if I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I've never killed a 60-inch moose. I mean, I've killed one, that one around the corner when I was 17. Yeah. But, but you know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's not always a normal thing. Yeah. Oh, no. And not I at think, all. I think with the social media and all that, you know, everybody shows all the, the biggest and the whatever, which is cool. I, I like looking at some of that stuff. And I mean, I think it's cool, but there's a lot of guys that just, they kill the fork at horn and they, you know, or a cow or a doe or yeah whatever. I mean, going into this story with the sheep, I mean, that was a really good year for me with my bow. And I mean, I ended up killing a caribou. It was a tiny thing. I mean, but I'll tell you what. I don't know that it was any smaller than the caribou I killed this year. <laughs> it might have. We'll have to compare. Yeah. Because it was, uh, I, you know, and I didn't really care. It was the only yeah. caribou I even saw. And really what made it special to me, I killed it below the same mountain that I killed my ram on. Oh, that's cool. It was, I mean, and so, and my dad was along, so that was cool, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to how the vastness of Alaska and how people get tied up into other things, too. My dad had never been past the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. And we've lived here for 31 years. And I took him all the way up, all the way to the slope and, you know. Cause I was like, you need to get out of the house. He's retired, you yeah. know? And I'm like, you need to get out of the house and go do something. And you know, he likes, he's kind of a homebody, he likes to sit around. So I was like, why don't you come with me? I'm going to go back up and I'm going to go caribou hunt. And he's like, well, I don't know. And I said, just bring your pole and you can fish for grayling. And if you want to get out and you know, he doesn't get around as good. So, but I was like, you want to go hiking and do some stuff? We can just, you know, we can take it easy. I'm not, I'm going into this trip going, this is more for fun to spend time with him. And if I kill a caribou, I kill a caribou. Yeah. Well, I was just like, well, when I killed my sheep, there was some caribou back in there. You know, why don't you give me a little bit of time and I'm give me a day or so. You know, you can fish. There's some creeks around here. I'm going to go in there. And that's where I ended up killing that little, little caribou. But anyway, so I'll go to the sheep story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so that year I was supposed to fly in with a friend of mine and he'd been bugging me about taking me out. You know, he's like, oh, I fly in, you know, and up to that point, I had never solo sheep hunted. That was actually the first time I ever yeah. solo sheep hunted. So I, I allotted pretty much close to 14 days. Um, and I figured a couple of those days were going to be weather-related mm-hmm. issues with flying, which is pretty common up here. And so he picked me. Basically, I got out to where he was at, 
I got stuck there because of weather. I, I hung out there. I think it was about four days. And he couldn't get me into the area where where I was wanting to go. And and so I, I pretty much decided, I was like, man, I'm just, I'm burning up a lot of time here. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't planning on bow hunting either on this trip. It was going to, I was, I had taken my bow up. Yeah. See, I didn't know that that part. Yeah. So I had taken my bow, but it was mostly for caribou. I mean, yeah. I wasn't going to take it where I, when I flew in, mm-hmm. but I was going to, you know, I figured, well, when I get back, you know, I'll bow hunt or something like that or whatever. Or if I even see a caribou on the way up. So went out there, couldn't, and we couldn't get out because of the weather. Weather was just bad towards the mountains. A lot of fog. It was more fog than anything. And, uh, he has that problem fairly regular. It's a, it's a challenge for him in a lot of cases, you know, it's a challenge for all pilots really. But, um, I pretty much decided that the, the weather where we were at, he could take me back to where my truck was and I would just do other options. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I don't want to burn all my time sitting here and, Plus he had, he had clients. He, he runs an air taxi business. He had clients and pretty much all the clients had precedence over me anyway. And I was like, he's already behind right from day one. He's behind. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it could be a week before I get out. And so I decided to just have him fly me back to my truck. And I knew of some other areas where there were some Rams. I just, I just had my heart set on flying in with him yeah and he had some places in mind that he thought would be pretty productive for me so i was a little heartbroke you know i was kind of i was a little bit disappointed but i had i kind of determined that i was like you know what i mean there's other places there's places that i've hiked in before with my wife even though we had been unsuccessful in those places we'd always seen ramps yeah and I was, I, I just thought, well, I'll just go into one of those places, you know? And so that's kind of what I did. And I decided, I don't know why, but I just had a feeling to ditch the rifle and take my bow. I, I mean, I had my bow and I just thought I'll just take my bow, you know, for one, it's lighter to carry, Yeah, you know, cause I'm, I'm doing this all by myself. But so it's, it's still, and it's a, it's an interesting I say choice, but you know, something telling you to take your bow, like that's generally the opposite of what any, anyone naturally thinks when your original plans start to fall apart and you've got to go to one of the backup spots. You know? Yeah. And that's, and that, that is true. But I think that wouldn't be the first time that I've pulled something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, what's kind of weird. Sometimes I go all in with certain things and then other times I'm like, err on the side of caution maybe yeah i mean that's why i was giving you a hard time about you know you better take your recurve in there you <laughs> yeah. know you know what i mean it's all or nothing you, you can't just you know how yeah. cool would that be to kill a 40 inch ram with a recurve you oh, know it'd be it'd be really cool and it is all or nothing because if there's a rifle within a mile of me you're gonna use it <laughs> i just know myself i'm gonna use it i'm gonna get stuck 100 yards from from a 40 inch ram and 
He's getting he's getting the smoke pole. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I I'm, I have no shame in admitting that yeah. whatsoever. Well, and I, that goes back to like what I was saying earlier. I mean, there's there's op, there's times that I had plenty of opportunity, mm-hmm. but because of the choice that I had made, it didn't happen. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I. But like I said, I just had a feeling to take my bow. And I said, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I had tried on other occasions with my recurve, you know, and, and I went back to my compound. This was the, f- that would have been the first year going back to my compound that I had hunted. Yeah. And um, with my compound, it had been 10 years since I had hunted with a compound up to that point. Mm-hmm. I had been using my traditional bow. And that's another reason my success had been lower. Yeah. You know, I'm not the greatest shot for by any means. You know, we were talking about that the other day too. And I want to get back well, into he it. He was talking about it. I wasn't talking. Well, yeah. But you I know, like, I, you know, Matt, you kind of suck. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. I, well, I'll admit it. I do suck at it. I mean, that's why I wasn't as successful with it, you know. And I mean, I'll, I'll even, I'll admit it. You know, it's like I told you, I'd never had any formal training, nothing. Yeah. I mean, it it goes, we were talking about, you know, learning the hard way. Mm -hmm. Most of the stuff that I've did, that's how it's been. Yeah. It really has been. I mean, and I am, I don't want to sound like I'm stuck on myself either. Like I am pretty selective with people that I hunt with. Oh, and in a lot of cases. absolutely, And and I just realized I've said absolutely like a hundred times on this. <laughs> That's okay. I, I'm sure I've but said. But really, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the, so anyway, I, I just think that uh, I lost my train of thought there. See see what you passed on to no, me over here? sorry. Okay, no, so we were right. on. We were on first year hunting with a compound yeah. again. So anyway, yeah, it was first year hunting with my compound, and I decided to take the bow. And I go hiking in, and I, I literally didn't get in very far, a couple miles. Mm-hmm. And I see some white dots up on this mountain, and I'm like, hmm, those are sheep. Get the spot and scope out and get to looking. I'm like, yeah, those are rams. And I watch them a little longer, and I'm like, that's a possibility that those could be legal rams, you know? Yeah. And I've ran into this up there a lot. There's there's a lot of those questionable rams, mm-hmm. like, on the edge yep. of being full curl. And I'm like, yeah, another one of these years, you know, of finding these kind of sheep, you know, that's just questionable. Mm-hmm. And I decided to watch them. And I actually decided that I'm only a couple miles in. I watched them till evening. I found out where they were kind of going over the mountain. Yeah. And I, I told myself, you know what? I'm like two miles from the truck. Why am I going to camp back here? I'm just going to go back to my truck. Yeah. So I hiked back to the truck, slept in the truck in the back, decided to get up early the next morning and not even pack all my gear. Just take my tent, my video camera, or leave my tent, just take my pack, my video camera. Yeah, just, just date the gear, essentials. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, go and investigate these sheep before I decide I'm going to trudge around 10, 15, 20 miles or whatever I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
especially with my bow, because I can hunt them there with my bow. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to just go investigate those things and see what happens. So I got up early, early, started out in the dark, get up there, find, I, I kind of made a plan before the, the, the night before when I'd left where that, where I put them to bed at and the best way to approach them in the morning with thermals and all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and I get up there and, uh, right off the bat, I mean, I'm sneaking up to look over the other side and I spot a sheep right off the get go. And I'm like, it's gotta be the same one, the same group. There was only two that I had seen the night before. So, and I'm trying to self film all this stuff too, you know, which is rough. It's hard. I mean, really, I, I, I don't really have enough footage to put anything together of any quality, even though I do have some stuff edited out that I, I would like to, show eventually mm-hmm. um but it, there's some pretty rough footage in there <laughs> you know and uh anyway uh so i i get my spot and scope set up and i'm peer, peering over the top of this ridge and i'm trying to look at this ram and i determine that it's the smaller one but it's the same one one of them from the night before and i ended up Setting there all day long, he was bedded across like this little, it was like a little, I don't even know what, how to explain it. Almost like a little, it wasn't really a wash. It was like a mini valley. Yeah. About how far were they? Uh, I'd say four to 500 yards. Yeah. Which know, is straight still kind of a, a safe distance to. Yeah. If you can stay out of sight, though, it seems like once you get start getting under like 200 yards or so, like they're you get in their radar zone. Yeah, and I'll get to that here in okay. a minute. So <laughs> it's uh, like I said, that's the only one that I saw. Yeah, the one that I thought was closer to being le- a legal ram, I was nowhere to be found. Well, I'm just videoing and kind of watching this guy, hoping something else is going to pop up, and I sat there all day. Well, this ram had got ended up getting spooked off by some caribou. This is these caribou that I saw milling around mm-hmm. back up in there, and there's caribou right on the same ridge as this sheep. I've got some film of this caribou trudging along the ridge, a bedded ram. All of a sudden, the ram jumps up, and the caribou and the sheep are like having a stare down, and then the sheep just takes off, you know, <laughs> and the caribou he's just running around. Kind of, you Not know, the brightest creature no, to ever trot no, the do, Doing their normal thing, you know, <laughs> just randomly all over the place. And he did. He, like, came down. He came over closer to me, like, within 100 yards, did a circle, went back up on the ridge, down the ridge that he was on earlier, and then down the backside. And I'm like, what in the heck? These things don't know what they're doing. Well, the ram had went out into this bowl and bedded way up in these little cliffs. But it was it was a prime spot for stalking with a bow if you were mm-hmm. above them. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, man, I would have thought if he ran off, that other sheep, if he was with him, would have ran off. Yeah, <clears throat> never happened. So I'm like, now I'm having my doubts if that's even the, one of the same sheep. But I decided just to be patient and wait there, and I stayed there all day, kept an eye on him, bedded, and. The wind kind of kicked up late in the day, 
probably about three, four o'clock ish. Started doing some drizzling and, you know, I threw my rain gear on and I'm just kind of sitting there. And it's one of those times where mentally I'm starting to go, should I stick this out or just, you know, come back tomorrow? Yeah. You know, and I'm kind of like playing this in my mind and it's kind of foggy. You know, the day had been pretty good, but this weather, just a little squall came through pretty mm-hmm. much. And it was like I was talking before about the, the that fog bank. Yeah. I think, man, use those things to an advantage if you can. Oh, and, I've and, done it before. Yeah, and it, it does really work. Um, well, this fog bank came in, and I couldn't see nothing. Just all of a sudden white everywhere. And... Then, of course, your mind start playing tricks on you again. You know, well, I should just pack up. Can't even see. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, no, just stay. Just stay. This wind is blowing this stuff in and out. It's, it'll probably get, it'll blow out of here, I think. And it did. It kind of, it, it blew out enough to where I could start seeing. Well, where that ram was bedded, when I could see over there again, he was gone. That The one from earlier mm-hmm. in the day. Yep. And I've never heard this before. But all of a sudden, the ram comes up through that little mini valley there, walking towards me right down in the middle. He's in the bottom, walking up. You know, walking by me, he would have been about probably 150 yards from where I was at. Mm -hmm. Directly to the bottom, it would have been about 150 yards probably. No more than 200. And he's batting like a lamb. Just I've heard lambs and ewes doing that. Well, Before. I have too, but I've never heard a ram doing it. Yeah, me either. This ram was doing was making that sound, and I'm like, "What the heck is going on?" And he's just kind of walking. He was bad making this noise, and he'd eat a little bit, and he'd walk, and he'd do it again. Well, I looked looked up the other way of this little mini valley, and about 300 yards away, like out of the fog, is another ram walking to me so now i got rams coming in on both sides of me right below or below me you know and i'm like i get all excited and i get the spot and scope and i'm looking and and i'm trying to video too and that was the thing i had one tripod so i'm like the spotting scope is on the the tripod well i i was just trying to so i just started to handhold the camera and that's why i say i got a lot of shaky stuff and because I'm like, well, I need the spot and scope on him to even determine if he's legal. That's of more importance right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, I couldn't make him legal. Full curl. I'm like, I, I don't think he is. He's very, very close. But I mean, am I willing to try to even make an attempt? You know, I don't, I've been in that situation uh, two or three years ago now where fog breaks. There he is. 250 yards away and you just can't make them legal yeah and it's anyway back to (laughs) well it's a it's a tough call to make oh it is you know it's very tough and especially when you're and i can understand like guys that are out hunting their first sheep i think it's easier for a guy that has hunted them Mm -hmm. to say yeah it's just not you know actually admit that it's not because you hear the story because you well i you know 
I was pretty sure he was full curl. You know, they're not saying he was full curl. Yeah. They're 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 like I was pretty sure. Well, they went ahead and shot anyway, and well, then they, they get it confiscated. It's, because su- it's such an easy because you you put in all the work and you want that thing to be legal so bad. You're you're like right on the cusp. Yep. You talk of, yourself of into having it. that. Yeah, and they're like I think that happens a lot. Like guys will talk themselves into thinking this Rams legal where. After you have quite a bit of experience, even if you think like he might be, but nope, we're just calling him not legal. Yep. And I mean, there's a fine line there. There really is. I mean, and it comes from experience, like you just like you said. Um, and I, what I had said earlier about I had never aged a sheep. I just, I never thought aging a sheep was a very good way of, of determining you know, legality, legality, you know, and I, I don't know if you've mentioned before, but you know, all the legalities of what a sheep has to be here, but you know, it has to be eight years old as far as age goes. And so this sheep was getting close enough that I'm like, I'll have my spot and scope on 60 power at 150 yards. Mm-hmm. I should be able to count rings. Yeah. That's the option that I was at at that point. And that smaller ram that was making those sounds ended up meeting up with the sheep. And they're literally, like I said, 150 yards away from me. And I got the spot and scope on that ram. And I am like, they're just feeding, walking around right there. And I'm just thinking, man, if this was a rifle. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, (laughs) you know, if I thought he was legal, you know. Well, I, I started counting rings, and I could see him plain as day at that distance. Yeah. And I th- I think, too, you know, good glass, big big deal for that type of thing. I mm-hmm. still I still, I still won't condone aging a sheep, you know. I just felt that I had enough experience at that time. There's, that, been, there's been a couple that, that I've played that game, especially the past few years. I started paying a lot more attention to, attention to that and specifically looking at a lot more sheep from that angle of, of, all right, how old is he? What does he look like? Where? Cause their rings are usually where they're supposed to be. And yeah. you got to kind of throw out the outliers. Yeah. Which Wh- that ram of yours. That's what I was just going to say. I mean, you've seen pictures of it. So it's a very, uh, when I was looking at him, I'm just like, when you first look at it, you go, man, that thing's like 15 years old. Yeah. You know? And I'm, but in my mind, there's no way it's 15. I mean, the thing's not full curl. Yeah. And mass wise, he's nothing special. I mean, he's average for up there, I would say. Yeah. He's a pretty sheep. I mean, mm-hmm. I, though all those rings make some, give him some character. Oh, yeah. Definitely for sure. But I mean, that still don't make him a legal ram. So I'm playing all this in my mind. You know, I'm just like, holy cow, look at all these rings this thing has. You know, and I'm trying to decipher what I think is an actual growth ring and what's a false ring and playing the game where you're like, all right, if this, 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 and this ring are real, if we're throwing out these ones, how, how many does he have left? Exactly. You know, and it it was actually, it was tough, but I determined, I'm just like, and I, I erred a little on the side of caution. You know, I said, okay, he's, I'm positive that he's nine, possibly ten. Mm-hmm. That's w- what I decided, and I'm like, I'm going after him if I get a chance. Well, what I thought they would do because 
once those two sheep met up, I thought they were going to go back to those cliffs where that one had been bedded. Mm -hmm. Go that way. Well, they didn't. They started walking away from me. And I'm like, I need to get across that little valley. The wind was perfect. Get across that valley. And there's all these little, like, boulders, like, big, big boulders. I mean, big as a bus. They had, like, sheared off this cliff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if if I can make it to that point, I got tons of cover, and I can just, I can move quick, and I can just follow these ramps and get within shooting distance. But I got to get across that little valley. And it gets into that thing where I'm, I'm literally 100 yards away from them, wide open when I make my play. Yeah. No whites. I didn't have, I didn't have a white suit. I just, you know, wearing my normal, just my camo pants and a, like a brown shirt or something, whatever the heck I had. I don't even remember what I was wearing, but I wasn't really hidden. I was just like, I know the wind's good. And if they're, if they're feeding and looking away from me, I'm making a move. If they look up and stop feeding, I'm stopping. Yeah. Freezing. I've done that, but I've also done that before. And that's exactly what I did. And I covered all that distance all the way across that valley and got to those rocks and, and, and got semi-busted once. The smaller ram spotted something that was out of place and I froze. I was froze like half stride. Mm -hmm. And the staring contest began. He just starts staring. Like, what the heck was that? And I'm trying not even to look in his direction. I'm like looking at yeah the other way. <laughs> like, he like can see yeah, your not, eyes. <laughs> not giving him eye contact. You know, I'm like he's got his X-ray vision on. You know, I'm like I'm not even gonna. You know, I don't want to blow anything. And it seemed like a long time. I don't know how long it was, but literally my foot was going to sleep that I had all my weight on. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know how long I can stand like this. And so I decided, and this might have been a mistake. I think this would have would have gave it away if the wind would have been iffy. Mm -hmm. But I had a stiff wind to my face. I mean, no way they were going to. They wander. weren't. They weren't yeah. smelling me. So I like very slow as I possibly could, just kind of started crouching down really slow to like. Cause my, I mean, I couldn't feel my foot. My mm -hmm. freaking calf was even asleep. It felt like, you know, and I just kind of sat down on my heels and he watched the whole time looking at me. And then I just sat down like that and waited, waited. And then finally he went back to eat and it was like, he was trying to trick me. He, he went down the feed and then his head popped right back up yep. like fast. And he's looking at me again. And I'm like, okay. And I hadn't really moved yet, but he went back to feeding again, and this time his head didn't come back up. He just kind of walked again. And I was like, all right, this is time. So I start I start moving, and they were moving slowly away, you know, getting a little further every, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I said, started out at 100 yards, but by the time I got across, they were probably at 150 yards from me. And they they kind of made a bend and got up into some of those rocks that I was trying to get to or work my way up through. Mm -hmm. Once they went out of my sight, I wasn't quite all the way across, but once they went out of sight, man, I ran at that point. Yeah. They're out of sight. I ran, I got in the rocks and I caught my breath. Cause I was like, this could happen fast. I don't know. 
everything's I got everything situated, range finder, and you're like, this is gonna happen. This might happen. I, yeah, at, at that point, it was the realization, and so I get I start sneaking my way through these rocks, and I move up. You know, I get up to where I'm thinking they're they're gonna be close, and I I when it, when I got into the rocks, I knocked an arrow, and I started working my way up. I get to where I think they're at or close. I peer around this rock, got my release on. I peer around this rock and 30 yards away is a ram staring right at me around the rock. And I'm just like, I, <laughs> I, I'm halfway around the rock and I see him and we're like eye to eye looking at each other. And I mean, I can see the color of his eyes at almost at that distance yeah. dang near, you know, I'm like, I didn't know what to think. You know, I'm like, well, I can't draw. He's staring at me. Well, he ended up being the smaller one anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, the other one's right there. So I was like, I'm going to go ahead and range that one and see, make sure that I'm guessing yardage right. And I was pretty close. I think it was, you know, I say 30 yards. I think it was 32 yards according to my range finder. And all of a sudden the other one walks out and I'm like, he just like goes behind this rock to the next rock. So I just get a glimpse of him going, Mm -hmm. passing through and I'm like, crap. And the other sheep, he just kind of turns around and follows him. And I'm like, and they're out of sight again. Yeah. So I'm like, man, I'm really close now, but I need to get up within sight of them. So I, I bump up a little bit and I can't find them. I'm like, where the heck did they go? And so I stand there for a second. I'm like, all right, just be patient. You're right here. And it's like you were talking, you know, I mean, sheep are white. You would think you could spot them a million miles away. And I mean, they can hide in not a lot of. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, it's very amazing. amazing. Yeah. And I, I would add kind of as a, as a observation or, or list or listener, um, I've noticed a lot of times if a little ram busts you, but the big one doesn't see you, like they're trusting that the, the lead ram to sort out what's dangerous and what's not. Last year, I've got I've got it on video. I don't know if you saw that where we were sneaking up on Frank's ram was with five rams, and we're going down there, and all of a sudden looking at the train, I'm like, we are way closer than we want to be, and we're crawling up over this knob, and this ram busts us. He's like 30 yards. And he he didn't see me. He saw for the top of Frank's head, and he had to prop his head up for an hour. And this thing came running up to like twenty, to, like twenty twenty five yards is as you know. As, and he'd do that thing for for an hour. He where he he'd he'd be feeding feeding, then pop his head back up to see if yep. anything had changed. And then finally, he wandered back over to wandered back down to the group and they were getting they were moving they hadn't seen us but uh they were moving away and he basically followed yeah yeah well no and i agree with that i i think those sheep you know they've been to those areas multiple times they they know what's out of place sometimes yeah you know and it's gonna like you said though the the lead ram or whatever the bigger ram is usually the one that kind of leads that little group around in most cases Mm -hmm. You know, and they're going to tip them off usually before a younger one might run away, you know what I mean? Or spook everything else away. And I wouldn't say that's always the case, but I mean, it depends how bad you're blowing them out, you know? But a lot of times if they just kind of bust you, 
the if if the big ram doesn't see you, and I mean that was shoot one of the ABCs of sheep hunting that I think Tony Russ had in his yeah. book. Well, it's just like when you shoot a, a like a lead ram. Yeah, everyone everyone else just kind of stands stand around. there. Looking like, come on, let's go. And mm-hmm. he ain't getting up. I mean, my toke sheep was that way. There were nine rams in the bunch that I shot. Three of them were about the same size as the one I shot. Yeah. And I sh- I just kind of picked out the one that I thought was the prettiest out of those three mm-hmm. and shot them. And all those other rams just stood there. They were looking like, huh? What's, wh- I know guys that have seen them walk up and, and kick them. Oh, yeah. It, it's like, cra- come on, buddy. Come on. <laughs> come on, Barney. We got to go. <laughs> it it kind of makes me wonder exactly. I mean, exactly. It makes me wonder kind of what, how their hierarchy is, you know, in those bands of sheep. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know there's a hierarchy. Well, and but- you've seen them, like we had video and this is kind of interrupting, but like I got video of this group fighting and we watched them fight for like an hour and I passed on the lead ram. He was, he was legal, but, um. He didn't want nothing to do with it. He was the lead, like he didn't, he didn't care. They, he couldn't be bothered, but the rest of them, they took turns, you know, sparred like full on sparring with each other, you know, and two would go and there was one that would always, like after two would spar, he'd run up and hit one of them in the ass, like trying to, I don't know what, show his dominance or something. Yeah. Or or like these guys are fighting and all right, well, whatever. My, I, he is in the pecking order, you know, like he wasn't on, I don't recall that he was actually doing any full on sparring, but he always would run up and hit one of the two in the ass when the, after they, after when like, they're recovering. He was trying to be involved, but. Yeah, just, it's like that, he was the last one to get picked. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's really interesting. And I, I think that's part of being out there too, that you get to see that stuff. Yeah. And I think the more time you spend out there, I mean, you you will see more of that stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, and just like that one making them noises. I mean, I never heard a ram do that. I've heard, like you said, use. Yeah. And, I mean, will I ever hear another ram? I don't know. Maybe. But it was just odd to me. Yeah. It, it was almost like he was looking for that other sheep, like mm-hmm. making a sound to like say, hey, I'm, I'm down here. I'm. Yeah, I'm making my way your direction or whatever. I don't know what he was doing, but anyway, so those sheep are gone. As far as I can tell, I'm not quite sure where they went. And all of a sudden, so I'm following this cliff where all these big rocks are. And all of a sudden I see horns coming up the cliff, like trying to get above me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's them right there. I heard up through my rangefinder up. It was a st- and it, here. It is the small sheep again. And I'm like, what is the deal with this guy? He, it, he like when I see him, I see him first. Yeah. Even though he's not always leading, he was leading in this particular instance. He ended up leading, and and maybe it was because he was curious because he saw me. I don't think trying that, to work around to see what the heck you were. Yeah, because I don't think the other one saw me. He walked by while that one was staring at me, but he never looked at my at you know my direction. Yeah. So I think he was probably milling around, and then this one jumped up on them cliffs, and then he finally was like, "Well, I'll just go up there too." And by then, I already had a range on that one, and 
I went ahead and I just was like, the other one's probably going to follow and be pretty close to that same yardage. And so I just, I set, I had a slider sight on my bow, you know, a three pin slider and I set it at 60 yards, you know, and it was an uphill shot, a little bit uphill cause they were in these cliffs above me. And, uh, sure enough, that other Ram came right up behind him dang near broadside. And it was a cool, the sight of it was cool because they were like skyline mm-hmm. right there looking down both of them at me and you, I mean at that point you could really see the curl in their horns and whatever and it's just kind of a cool picture yeah you know and you know by then as soon as that one was moving up I already had came to full draw and he stopped almost broad dang near broadside and let the arrow go and I remember it did it happened in slow motion I yeah. mean it, I I saw the arrow I saw my green fletching going and you're like get there get there get yeah there. it was weird because it was really weird because i mean like i mean i see my arrow fly when i'm practicing but it seemed like that was even more in slow motion for some reason i don't i don't know why but and it hit him and just red on the side of him and they took off and i was just like all right sweet you know and i mean i was pretty Nobody there to share it with, really, yeah. you know, but I'm just, it, I was, ex, I was pretty ecstatic, you know, cause that was something I had been wanting for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I climb up there. I don't find an arrow. I don't even find blood on the rocks. And I'm like, what the heck, you know? And so, and I see no sheep and I'm like, which way did they go? I have no freaking clue. So I start kind of wandering around looking for some blood, looking for something, and I don't see anything. And so I kind of walked, it would have been to my left, which is kind of the direction that I had walked from originally below the cliff. I thought mm-hmm. maybe they were going to run up into those bigger hills where that one was bedded. So I walked down there and I just had this feeling, I'm like, they didn't go this way. They were walking that direction originally. That's probably the way they went. I just kind of changed my mind. I was yeah. just like, yeah, why would they want to go this way? So I started going that direction and I find him bedded. He wasn't dead yet, which really surprised me. He was bedded below another little cliff band type thing. Mm-hmm. And his partner was standing above waiting for him, but he was bedded up right up against these rocks. Wasn't moving. I had my bino harness with my binos and I I looked and I'm like, man, he's just, just blood all over the side of him. I'm like, he's, he's going to die there, you know, but I kind of thought, should I just wait or should I go try to get another arrow? Yeah. It's weighing your, your options said, you know, you think, all right, like there's no way he's getting up out of that bed. Do I just not push him or do I take the chance that maybe it's a more marginal hit and yeah. And it turns into a big time operation exactly you know and that's what i was afraid of was them getting into a spot that i wouldn't be able to get to very easily is what i was mm-hmm. not really wanting to happen and especially by myself just for the safety factor of things you know i mean it may not have happened but all that's going through my mind you yeah. know and i decided to go get another arrow in him and at this point i didn't care what the other sheep did i'm like he's going to do whatever, either run away or stand there and watch me or whatever. And he actually did. He stood there and watched me for the most part. And 
I, I decided to sneak around and then walk directly right next to the rock cliffs that that sheep was on or bedded up against. Mm -hmm. He couldn't see me or anything and walk right up. There was like a little cove there and he was in that cove. Yeah. And when I got close, I would just come to full draw. I'd step out. And I mean, I would be from me to you from this thing. Yeah. Darn near. I mean, you know, four or five feet away and just come right around and shoot. And I did that. I come around and I never seen a sheep move so fast in my life. That thing, he practically jumped straight up that cliff. Wow. And got and took off. And at that point, I took a Hail Mary shot at him running away because I'm like, that thing's not dead. Not yeah. close to even being dead. What in the world, you know? And <clears throat> so I went and pursued again, you know? And he was bedded up again in some rocks. I actually think that pushing him maybe made him it 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 made him bleed more because he yeah. was leaving blood this time. Yeah, and he got in those rocks, and you know, I I walked up there to put try to get another arrow in him, and I'm getting pretty excited at this point too. I'm just like, well, like adrenal, not, adrenaline. You know. I'm breathing hard because I'm going after him pretty yeah. fast, and. I went ahead, you know, at this point too, I'm just trying to get arrows in him. I mean, it, I'd like to just shoot one time and be done with it, but. It ain't always how it works. No. And so I shot, I misjudged the yardage on that one, ricocheted off a rock. He was kind of in the rocks and, you know, I was kind of trying to lob it in over the top and mm -hmm. in and it ricocheted off the rock and he stood up, kind of looked at me. Laid down, and that was it. He died right there. So I didn't even have to get another arrow in him. I mean, yeah. he, he ended up dying. But so, it, and it's just weird. I mean, we were talking about, I think, before we started recording, just how, no, we like with the moose stuff, like just some animals are different. I mean, sheep sheep or moose aren't particularly hard to kill. No. Typically. Um, well, how'd you end up hitting him? Well, so I, I ended up hitting him a little further forward than I wanted. Mm. I got lung. Yeah. But it it actually I don't it didn't really it didn't break his leg, but it like his leg was like floppy. I don't know. There was a tendon or something there that it just wasn't attached as well as it should have been that the broadhead had cut. But I didn't get an arrow pass through. And that goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, I was shooting seventy two pounds with a five hundred and nine grain arrow. Should blow right through a it, sheep just it, about any it should have. But something there, it didn't, and it was hit. It hit the other shoulder, mm -hmm. and I think because he was, he was broadside, just slightly quartered to me. I hit him a little far forward. The only thing I can think of was his other leg was back because that other yeah. arrow, that's kind of what stopped it. Yeah. But you're talking bones of a sheep. I mean, I still think it should have went through. Yeah. In my opinion, I I just maybe I'm overthinking it, but um. Last year, I shot the same arrow. No, I didn't. I, that's when I changed my arrow configuration. Yeah. I went up a little bit in weight, but I shot, um, I ended up going to the Pierce's. Mm -hmm. And uh, this year, I think I'm going to shoot the Pierce again, but I'm going with more point weight. Yeah. And I'm going with a single bevel on it. And me and you talked about that. Remember, yeah. you were like, you should shoot a single bevel. Yeah. Shoot that single bevel out of there. And I did get those to fly 
I got him to f- shoot r- the tune good out of the bow. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I didn't like was because I'm having to use glue on adapters. Yeah. I'm trying to get them stupid things to spin good. That's the toughest part. But you can't, you know, and, and there are some other options to look at as far as single bevels that. Well, and with- I, and I've been looking at some other ones. I mean, I the only thing is I have a bunch of these. You yeah. Know, and I'm kind of like, ah, I, you know, the cheapskate in me is saying, use what you've got. Yeah. You know, but. You know, I'm looking at more ones that are the thread on, you know, thread in already, thread mm-hmm. in style, you know, that I don't have to use a glue and adapter and, yeah, you know. It just cuts a lot of a lot of work and effort because it, it, it takes a little bit of finesse to get those things glued on there and spinning right. Yeah. And have you found that you have to go back through and test those later? Like, not you know, like with a temperature change or anything, if something in that, I mean, I don't know if you, you do you glue them? Do you use epoxy or do you well, use an actual hot melt? I use hot melt. And that's what I've used too. But I'm just afraid that, because I have had hot melt move on me before. You know that, what I'm saying? That's definitely something to consider. I guess I hadn't, I hadn't noticed anything. Typically, if I glue them up and think I get them spinning right, um, you know, if any, I'll number my arrows and or and I'll, I'll like write you know number my broadhead and my arrow, and if I get one that's just spinning off weird or something, I'll mess go back and mess with it more and try to every once in a while you get one that just I can't ever get quite right, but uh, turns into a practice arrow or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering too, you know, because I shot wood shafts with those single bevels. Mm-hmm. Well, I did, I did, like I said, that cow was with a, a carbon shaft, but then I went to wood, a tapered wood, dug fir shaft. <clears throat> and I enjoy, I like doing them too, because I like to paint them up and crest them and do all that cool stuff. And yeah. Splice feathers and yeah. make them look nice. And then I go to the range and break a bunch of them <laughs> or lose them out in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's, those are the ones that I had had problems with the broadheads. I don't, and maybe it's because maybe the wood, swelled i don't know you know what i'm saying because y- yeah. you taper the the wood and the they don't have a, a thread in broadhead adapter no, yeah. you know what i'm saying so i had and and wood i never got as particular with the wood either because i mean wood is definitely not as straight as no and the way just you know you get 10 just just boards yeah you know you let them set or something, something like that, and every you get one every once in a while that kind of starts to warp a little bit on you after a while. Even and we're talking that stuff. I mean, just super minor changes will make a big difference. Yeah, and and that was. I go back to traditional. I probably will end up shooting carbon again, just for the ease of. Yeah, that's why I like it. Consistency I mean, and yeah. the ease of of use, but yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, this has been a long one. You know, the first couple ones, I'm like, yeah, we're about an hour. We'll wrap this up. But uh, again, it's my podcast, so we'll go as long as we want. And uh, but really, really hope you guys have enjoyed this. Um, it's been great, great chatting with you, Matt, and hearing some hearing some more stories. I mean, I know you've got a bunch more, and so you'll you'll definitely be back on here. Um, well, I I appreciate you asking me. I've uh, I've had fun. It was it was cool. Yeah, it's always cool you know. talking hunting. Oh yeah. Hopefully, you know, it's nice when you can get some entertaining stories and you know, 
peppered with a little bit of useful int- information. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been great. If you guys uh, have if listen have any questions or comments, email podcast at tundertalkak.com. I'm happy to to do my best to answer any questions or if there's anything you want to hear talked about in the future. It may take a while to get to, but uh, definitely open to that. So thanks for listening.